For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Uh, paperwise this morning, uh, there was another joint uh, policing committee meeting yesterday in the city where all the different heads from different departments and different agencies come together to update on the state of play uh, on Leaside. Theft is a big issue. It's the front page of making the echo this morning. Shops being targeted. They always have, and it's been an ever-increasing problem. It was outlined yesterday by the Chief Super Tom Myers, who spoke about theft from shops now is something that is seriously up for us. Working closely with the community guards in the city centre to try and work um, on dropping uh, the ever-increasing amount of criminality involving theft and shoplifting. And the Cork Business Association were at that meeting yesterday as well. But thefts uh, up 78% in the first two months of the year compared to the same period last year. And again, calls for more increased guard presence in the city centre during daytime hours. Now, how, how much of that could be theft out of desperation to feed a drug habit, I do not know, but I'm quite sure that that's one of the reasons why uh, theft on Leaside is up 78% in the first two months of the year alone. So much so uh, that the Sinn Féin councillor Mick Nugent made a renewed appeal for a Garda station to be set up on Grand Parade to enable Gardaí to have a fixed presence in the heart of the city. I suppose the point that he might be making, his words, not mine, is that maybe that uh, the Bridewell is a little too far away and Anglesey Street is a little too far away. McCurtain Street is closed. That was a very strategic station back in the day. So something in the city centre for what he calls a fixed presence in the heart of the city. But they're also talking about uh, drug issues uh, in Cork and that featured as well at the Joint Policing uh, Committee yesterday. Drug dealing in Cork City continues to represent a serious challenge for Gardaí. Um, but, uh, and obviously, it's destroying people's lives, destroying families, and destroying communities. But the fear of all, um, Councillor Colm Kelleher, um, reiterated what an awful lot of people have been saying anyway, uh, that uh, he witnessed open drug dealing in the city centre on Sunday afternoon outside a premises on Patrick Street. Uh, you'll, you can see it. I mean, if you use the city or walk around the city, you see the characters. I mean, it's it's sad to to watch the interaction of a lot of them, but um, it's criminal when you watch some of the drug deals going down. And it's almost, it's so blatant now. It's, you know, it's not as if it's being hidden anymore in any way, shape or form. And they were saying at the meeting yesterday that a supervised injection facility would make a very big difference. Um, In fact, I was reading also um, comments from the chief super saying there, there are drugs in every corner of the city now. Unfortunately, that's the world we're living in. And he's so right, actually, because there's an article in the Mirror this morning that says more and more people are taking cocaine and having a high old time of it. And they're saying that one of the more startling statistics is that people in Ireland are starting to take cocaine now for the first time in their 60s. Of course, while all that's happening, of course, at the other end of the age scale, you've got kids as young as 10, running around as runners for dealers. Um, Ireland is ranked fourth, I was telling you that yesterday, fourth worldwide uh, with regards to the use of cocaine. We're on the same level as the United States. And the only places that we're behind is Spain, Holland and Australia. So per per head of capula in Ireland, um, you know, the amount of people living in the country that is, uh, we are big users uh, of cocaine from all walks of life. Also, all socio-demographic groups, people of all ages, people of all backgrounds, uh, people of all career, different paths and stuff like that. Um, You know, a lot of hypocrisy going on in Ireland with regards to cocaine, if you ask me. And then uh, the latest update, and I'll be touching base with Barry Roach of the Irish Times again later in the week with regards to the uh, trial that's going before the Cork Central Criminal Court at the moment. uh, There was a, a waitress gave evidence yesterday 
in the trial into the death um, or the the killing uh, of um, you know a, a young Cork man who obviously uh, you know is well liked and well loved and we heard a lot about of his life yesterday. There's a story makes the echo today where the accused told a colleague at the bar in the Silver Key that I killed someone. This is a waitress who spoke about the man on trial um, uh, yesterday in the Central Criminal Court. Uh, she's over in Croatia but was talking to the court. Uh, by video link with an interpreter and she said that uh, the quote was I killed someone and later adding that he may have cut his head off this is Tanya Bojnak who gave evidence through an interpreter by video link from Croatia as they say because she was working in the Silver Key restaurant and bar in December of 2019 and on the 29th she was on a break around about lunchtime when the man that she knew as Johnny um, said to her, he approached her while she was having her lunch and he says, I want to tell you a secret. Uh, and he said, I killed someone. Uh, she said it was ridiculous and she told him, I'm trying to eat now, stop talking like that. And then she said to him, when did it happen? And he said, two days ago. It happened two days ago. I said to him, why would he, why would he be talking such nonsense? Uh, I asked him to say how he did it and he said he may have cut his head off or something like that. I told him to stop talking such nonsense. Now, later on, he did say uh, that he was uh, actually joking, Unit Cosmin Nicolescu. Um, but that was part of the trial evidence yesterday uh, into Nicolescu's um, appearance in court, uh, charged with the murder of uh, Francis Frankie Dunn. There were other aspects to the trial yesterday as well uh, that, uh, that they drilled into. Uh, in different ways, shape or form, including, uh, you know, DNA, fingerprinting. And when the Guardi went over to uh, Romania to interview uh, Nicolescu and the things that they said to him when they met with him. But the big evidence yesterday, of course, was was the waitress uh, from the um, Silver Key on the Boring Manor Road. There are a lot of other trials making the papers today. And it's, it's quite interesting that, the, you know, the DJ Bobby Ryan, uh, Mr. Moonlight, uh, of course, he died and a man went to jail for it. But now the courts are saying... Uh, that Patrick Quirk, um, the seizure of his computer was actually unlawful. And the, wo- the wondering now is as to whether uh, he will be set free because of the unlawful seizure of his computer. In fact, the son this morning uh, talks with a member of the late uh, um, Mr. Moonlight's family saying, my daddy's killer will come for me next. And then there's another issue regarding uh, criminality and our prisons that makes the columnist sections of the paper this morning. And it's Brenda Power. We spoke an awful lot about issues in Scotland where a man who identified as a woman and then went to a female prison as a rapist and then got kicked out of the female prison and back to a male prison again. There's a lot of talk about that, but she's saying there's hardly any talk at all, if any, about a similar scenario um, with regards to a violent male in a female prison in Ireland. She says, last week, a violent man with a history of sexual crime uh, was sent to serve a lengthy sentence in Limerick Prison's female wing. This is a violent man who now identifies as Barbie Kardashian, a 21-year-old, born a male, but got one of the gender recognition certificates and now legally identifies as a woman. Uh, but Brenda Paris says Kardashian does not, nor could not, legally identify as female. Yes, as a woman, but no, as female. Because woman is a gender, but female is a biological reality that pertains across pretty much all of the most primitive life on Earth. And that includes us, dogs, birds, insects, plants. They either come in male or female form, coded in DNA. And she says, as a fully intact male, Barbie Kardashian should not be in a female prison. And yet, to date, there has been shameful silence 
from all different organisations across the state. And she says that um, particularly with regards to NGOs or organisations that are funded by the taxpayer to safeguard women's rights, they have effectively thrown the women housed in Limerick prison um, under a bus. That's our column making uh, the, the the mail today in quite some detail. It's a very strong read, actually. I mean, if, if nothing else, you got to admire people like Brenda Power who are not afraid to say how they feel. Uh, we'll have to see how the rural TDs will say how they feel with regards to tomorrow's eviction van ban. Um, whether or not the government will get the numbers to actually have that ban carried and indeed the eviction ban to be lifted on the last day of March. But there's a lot, apparently what's happening now with rural TDs and independents is that I'm told anyway, and according to the Mail today, they're making a list, they're checking it twice, they're giving it to the government and saying, give us this stuff and we'll vote with you. Don't and we won't. Kind of Somebody's quoted actually, a, a TD source is quoted in the Mail this morning as saying, a few million to go towards a local project would make me happy. I mean, it's awful, isn't it? That the decisions of government can be decided on a few bob here and a few bob there. But maybe that's always the way it's been. But So there's a growing list of demands, apparently, uh, being drawn up that the government will have to come up and find the kitty for. Um, but also, I, I also see quite an amount of people um, exercising their right to protest and rally. And you will recall... Um, and actually, I'm putting the cart before the horse. There are two separate rallies planned for the city centre this Saturday afternoon. Um, and both of those uh, organisers are hopeful of strong turnouts. Now, one will be a gathering to protest at the government's decision to lift the temporary ban on eviction. So that's got a 12.30 start in Parnell Place. And the other one is the second rally will be the group called Cork Says No to Racism. Um, and that is two o'clock on the Grand Parade. Now, both of those will happen, but the Echo correctly and Donal O'Keefe certainly co- covered the rally uh, on the Grand Parade recently and I spoke to him about it. But he says Saturday's Cork Says No to Racism rally will come three weeks after a, a three-hour standoff on the Grand Parade between anti-racism campaigners and anti-immigrant protesters. Uh, those two clashing rallies saw at the height of it 200 anti-immigrant demonstrators facing off against approximately 500 anti-racism counter-demonstrators and 20 guardies standing between them. I suppose, while he's not saying it, I mean, what I would be reading in between the lines is, will we have a repeat of that on Saturday? I do not know. We shall have to wait and see. And there's also a, a very interesting story with regards to um, people who get married. You know Succession, the television series regarding the Roy dynasty. They say that it's loosely based on on the Murdochs. Um, I mean, it's fantastic TV. The final series of Succession uh, kicks off again next Monday. But Rupert Murdoch's getting married again. And sure, why wouldn't he? Uh, apparently, he's not a huge fan of sex outside marriage, so gets married. Um, and it's, you know, it's his own beast, 92 years old. Uh, his wife is 66, and he says their romance is a gift from God. It will be his uh, fifth time down the aisle, and it'll be hers third time down the aisle. I think his last, was it to Jerry Hall? Was it? I think it was. His last marriage ended by email an email message, what he did say. So how long this one will last, I don't know. But um, certainly there are column inches after column inches given to it in the red tops today with lots of colour photographs. And here's a topic that everybody look, loves. Uh, maybe you shouldn't love it because it could be you or me. The Food, Safe, food Safety Authority have given out the latest list of food complain, camp, complaints for restaurants and takeaways in Ireland. Would you believe that there were 7,363 complaints God Almighty. 
That's an awful lot in a period of what, a year? Um, that's up 20% year on year. What's happening in the kitchens? Well, I can tell you what they claim is happening in the kitchens. Among the complaints from stunned customers were the discovery uh, in food of items like glass, wood, plastic, metal, stones, medical tablets and insects. I mean, take your pick of all of those. If you had to have one of them, what would you like it to be? Probably an insect. I wouldn't want a medical tablet in there. Not what I want glass, for instance, or plastic, tear the innards out of you. A live snail in a pack of spinach. I mean, that's going to happen like, I mean, it grew in the ground where there's earth and dirt and where there's snails live. Sure, that's Just a delicacy take, in yeah, Paris. take it off and Absolutely. wash. Buy a bag Stick of spinach in. and you get a snail in it. Walk out the back door and put the snail in but the garlic. Like, put get it in a bit of garlic butter, like. Life, huh? Put it in a big, bit of garlic butter and then release your inner uh, francophile, you know? Like, if, if, the the snail was inside, if the snail was inside in a chicken nugget, I'd say something, but in a bag of spinach... <laughs> I mean, God Almighty! It's the mental image of a of tearing tearing into your delicious McDonald's or other chicken nuggets and seeing a snail kicked inside the middle. Well, of it. There were, <laughs> forgive me now, this hour of the morning, but there were complaints of live maggots in fried chicken. Oh God! A disposable glove or part thereof in a rocky road biscuit. <laughs> um, a dirty and possibly bloody plaster. In a curry. Oh no, that's a that's f- bad now. You think I'm that's finished? Bad. A fake nail in garlic cheesy chips. <laughs> a piece of glass in coffee beans. Metal shavings in chicken wings. But it's so like like even there now the fake. <laughs> They're nails. trying to kill us. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it's just uh, maybe it's just a certain type of uh, of clientele. Maybe it's the same person keeps complaining the same thing. Like there's some things that are very easy. I can see they're so easy, like like the fake nail. But like oh the bloody plasters and great. I um. I remember my dad. <laughs> none of them are great. No, none of them the are great. Snail. To be fair, I give the snail a pass out of yeah. two. <laughs> my uh, my dad is a keen fisherman and would always keep um, uh, maggots in the you know the box that you keep the the men for fishing or whatever. But somebody flicked the wrong switch and turned off the um, refrigerator. Yeah. So when I opened up the fridge, it's just got a box of flies. Of oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's oh, just no. like I need to lie down. They had all hatched. In the heat. <laughs> I'd need to lie down. Anyway, take your pick as to which is the worst of them, but there you have it. I mean, you need to just be on your guard. Like, you'd kind of develop a phobia about eating out when you read out these lists every single year. Anyway, lines open, text 0868104106. And very finally, can I just mention this? Uh, I was sent this on my own Instagram page, and send me lo- people send me lovely links on my Instagram page, and I'm very grateful for all of them. And she said... Um, did you know that in library in Denmark there are libraries where you can borrow a person instead of borrowing a book to listen to their life story in 30 minutes. The goal is among other things to fight prejudice. Each person has a title. Unemployed person here, refugee here, person living with bipolar here and you go in and you pick out the person like you'd pick out the book you sit down and you have a good old chat it's innovative it's brilliant and it's active across 50 countries around the world it's called the human library you don't take out a book there are people there and you just sit down and listen to their life story it's good isn't it 
I mean, it's it, it's new. Yeah, and it's and once the, once those people are happy to put themselves up for it and to, to chat away about their life stories, I think it's a great idea. One of the other things I think would be great is if um, you know, like there's like we often have great characters in our show. We we love nothing more than a good cork character. It would be fantastic to have some of these people's stories committed to tape and for people to be able to come in and listen to them. Do you know, even listen about like we we are hoping to speak to somebody later on who will talk about horse and cart. The time of the horse and carts and the shawlies coming up around Cargilline uh, and it. like that kind of stuff is like that stuff needs to be committed now before yeah. that generation I passes the only on. Thing and say about that is that all of that is available in podcasts. There are podcasts in my program that go back years mm. and years. So I mean, you can. But it would be great to have some sort of um, an audio you know, library. Yeah, like yeah. even if the Cork City Libraries had it in Grand Parade, where they had a, an exhibition where you listen to. Um, there you go. Now there's me giving Cork City Libraries a great idea. You can have that one for free, lads. Um, but I, you know, some of the some of the great well, characters. It makes the difference Cork. to Cork City Library rather than honing in on this book is gay well yes <laughs> that's certainly a section. totally different section um, alright yeah. ok well I thought it was a good idea I'd like to see it catch on here it also would improve the art of conversation and uh, meeting people and hearing their life stories text 0868104106 back after the break get it off your chest call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 yes. Red FM feel free if you want to give us your own story with regards to what you found in your food and I also have to acknowledge somebody who said it may not have been a bag of spinach that you brought home that the snail was in. It could have been spinach on a plate in a restaurant, I know. It could well have been. Somebody else says, my mum got a club burger uh, years ago with a huge live slogan, it says Frank. So the ball is rolling. Text away to your heart's content. Text 0868104106. But very seriously, you might have heard in the 9 o'clock news in the papers this morning, uh, a study that's been going on for quite some time. It was headed up by UCC in partnership with Mary Crilly and the Sexual Violence Centre in Cork, prompted by some very brave women in including one woman, Una Ring, from down in Yall, who I spoke to in the past about their experiences of harassment at the hands of men, stalking in the case of Una, of course, it resulted in a five-year jail sentence for James Steele. Now, some time back, I spoke to Una Ring in quite some detail about what she went through. She's very open, very honest and very brave to come forward and to waive her anonymity at the time to talk. And I know she's having a very busy time of it because of the release of the report, but she joins me again this morning for a little while this morning. Una, good morning. Good morning. Thanks again for having no, me. No, it's you. It's you. It's you. I should be thanking because you're very kind to drop everything. You know, take a call because again, it's reliving everything. Of course, it certainly is. But the, but can I just talk about this? There was a thousand people participated in this in this uh, survey. It made ten recommendations, right? But mm-hmm. some of the information and the statistical evidence is amazing because just like in your case, the victims mostly know. Um, the perpetrator. Yeah, yeah, yeah correct. It, it could yeah. be an acquaintance, a colleague, an ex-worker, uh, a partner, an ex-partner, a friend. You know, that, mm-hmm. that, that's amazing, isn't it? Because that, yeah. that kind of fits the, the, the bill when it came to you. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But yeah. What, what were the recommendations that have been made now because of this? Um, well, I suppose the main... The main thing in the in the new legislation will be um, the civil order of protection. Um, there's, rec- there's recommendations in in the report um, for you know reporting it and how to train the guards. Um, I suppose the big thing about it was that the, the lack of knowledge that the guards have. Um, 
but with the new legislation, I think the biggest help would be the the order of protections for um, people who aren't in intimate relationships. So, like that's going to be huge. And, and and I suppose awareness as well is one of the big outcomes of a report like this, isn't it? Awareness that there is help and that Absolutely, it, is, that it yeah. is going on. And I also noticed from it that because of social media, smartphones, computers, things like that, it, it makes it so much more serious and worse for people who are suffering, isn't it? Pictures, yeah. recording, text messages, um, harassment by email and text and WhatsApp, right? Yeah, yeah. And like... I, I know of people who whose partners have um, put spyware into their mobiles so they can track exactly what they're doing on their phone. They know every message that's coming in. Um, they can track the phone by GPS. They know where they're going. Um, like there's there's an awful lot of stuff that can be done now. Um, that wouldn't have been done. like I suppose my case was with what we would call old school text messages and WhatsApp messages, um, but the cyber stalking. Thankfully, I've had no mm, um, mm, experience of, mm. I suppose, I'm of the, the age group where we wouldn't be that involved with... That kind of malicious stuff. form of communication, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, like that would be for, for the, the, the younger younger people. Um, and I've heard of some, some horrendous stuff that has, that has ha- happened to um, people who... The, like, just their profile picture has been put up on porn sites with their mobile number... Um, and it wasn't, it wasn't even intimate images of them. It was just their profile picture and put on porn sites and available for whatever and their phone number. And they've been inundated. Um, people's addresses have been put up on porn sites. People were calling to the, their, their home. Like, just really, really horrendous stuff. All of those prosecutable offences, all of those fall under yeah. rape, her, 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 pardon me, harassment, uh, stalking, yeah. uh, threatening rape. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 You, 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 but in your case, you, you certainly did receive an awful lot of messages. Um, some of them were printed messages. Others were on the door or the windows of your house and more, mm-hmm. many of them to your phone, Una, Una they were. I mean, yeah, it was awful. Yeah, but, yeah. But you, I mean, you must have been living in total shock and fear. Yeah, it was. It, it, it's, it's, it's a very hard thing to go through because... Um, you can imagine how many times your phone makes a noise during the day and each time you're thinking is a him. Um, so you are really living on your nerves and it's just that it, the fear is instilled in you and when you're at home you're afraid when you're out you're afraid at night you're afraid during the day like it's just it's re- you're trapped in your own mind really I know because I was reading the case again this morning before we came on air thankfully you printed off the messages and the attachments and things like that and the, the photographs that were sent by steel mm. of where you live letting you know that yeah. he knew where you were he may have been 70 miles away uh, but he was travelling to be part of your life and to follow and to intimidate mm-hmm. you but the, yeah. but the guardie yeah. took you seriously right from the off which was great it was great um, and like I would say to anybody because um, I know in the reports there was over half people didn't report to the guards um, but just make a log like I had a log of um all, I, I had a log of all the messages. I, I screenshotted them. I printed them off. Um, and I just brought everything with me and just handed it over. And even the relief of just handing it over was, was, was a big deal for me. Yeah, you know? yeah. Did he initially um, get a warning then, did he? No, he didn't. Um, we had decided because... No, I, they, they kind of... 
they left it up to me, but they kind of advised me because this was June when I reported it and he actually hadn't made contact since April. So we kind of decided between us that maybe it was better to leave it off because we might antagonise him by them cautioning him because he hadn't been in contact since April. Um, but we just didn't realise that he was just waiting for the, 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 the road restrictions to lift because as soon as the guards were off the road, he was back at my door, you know. Mm, mm. Um, but it was very serious because not only was he threatening to call to the house and rape you, but your daughter as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and like once your kids are brought into it, it's it's, it's just on a whole other level. Yeah, um, yeah. and yeah, it, it is. It, it it's 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 extremely frightening. And the the thing is, is like, is he was caught trying to? He was going to break in. He had a rape kit with him. Um, when you so say rape kit, I remember you talking about that before. What's that? Yeah, so he had a, um, a rope and duct tape, and he had um, a dildo strapped to him as well. So. He was, um, I need a lockpicking device. He, he was very well prepared. I need the crowbar. Um, so it would have been, it would have been fairly horrific had he had he gotten in. But like as I said, the guards were outside the house. Little they were, did he know, know they had stayed a number of nights where he didn't turn up. Isn't they that had, right? they had, yeah. They like the 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 week before the second, like from when I got the first letter, they were doing drive-bys um, a couple of times a night. Um, and then once I got the second letter, they put a plan in place where they were in an unmarked car um, a couple of houses down. Mm. And it was the fourth night um, that he came. They stayed so, and they stayed and they stayed. One would think yeah. they'd stay a night or two and then just say, look, he's he's not going to do anything. No, I think I, th- I think they knew he was, I, I, I think they, they thought he knew he was going to come back. Um, no, obviously it couldn't continue forever, but... I think they had given it, they were going to kind of re-look at it, revisit it after about six or seven nights. Um, but thankfully he turned up on the fourth night. Right, yeah. But when you're so, inside in the house with your daughter night after night, getting no sleep, yeah. I'd, getting no sleep, I'd imagine. No, no, no sleep. No, and that, that particular night was torrential and I actually, I went to bed at 12 and I woke at 2. Like I went to bed fully dressed, I just had a feeling that the weather was so bad that he might think there's nobody going to be around. Um, I went to bed fully dressed, sneakers and all, and I just kind of lay down on the bed and dozed off for an hour or two. And then I woke at two and I, I just was sitting up in the bed. I wasn't even lying down. I was just sitting up. I was waiting. And then I heard the voices outside and the clank of metal when he threw the crowbar. And, About 3.15 yeah. in the morning, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, it was quarter to four, I think. Or might have been, yeah, I think I think it was three fifteen or quarter four because one night he came out three fifteen and the other night was quarter Sorry, four. Sorry, so. the three fifteen time was when he called the beast and he just left a note, wasn't it? Yes, yeah, yeah. The yeah. quarter four was when he was arrested. Yeah, yeah. But like within within three minutes from him stepping onto the property, like within nine seconds of him stepping on the property, he was arrested, and within three minutes, the squad car was up and the paddy wagon was up. So that was three cars. But of course, you live. You, I mean, he got he got five years, didn't he? In in February twenty twenty. Yeah, it started at nine. Um, it started at nine, and then there was two taken off for his guilty plea, um, which brought it down to seven, and then there was two years suspended, which brought it down to five. Right. Um, yeah. And he'll yeah. be out next year. Do you worry about that? The plea. fact that he will be out next year. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking about it already. You know, I'm making plans already um, to up security, and yeah, it's just yeah. I'm not looking forward to it. But you see honest. the consequences that you and your daughter have to live with after he yeah. after he goes to yeah. jail and comes out. You still live with the anxiety. You still live with the worry and the fear. Yeah. And the yeah. trauma of yeah. it. Because I know you were telling me that 
you were on medication as well afterwards, trying to. Oh yeah, I'm still on medication. I'm still on medication. Yeah, I, I still find it very like some days are better than other days. But some days I I, I do find it very hard to leave the house. It's just and even still like going from especially during the winter when it's dark like going from the shop to the car in a shopping centre like I leg it you know and the minute I jump in I hit the, the lock button on the, the car you know it's just yeah it's just it's, it's, it, it doesn't it doesn't go away Post-traumatic stress disorder I would think would you? Yeah well I was diagnosed with this um, and it does live with you Will you have help and protection when he comes out? I have a lifelong no contact order and because he is a registered sex offender now he will be um, tied to very strict um, probation like he'll he'll be on probation for five years but it will be very very strict How Um, would that work if he were to contact you be anywhere near or close to you for you even to see him um, at a distance would that result in him going back to jail again? Yeah, I would report it and he would be arrested and he would be he would be sent back. So it's up to, it's in his best interest to stay out of your environment. Yeah. Yeah, like the only reason that he would come back near me now would be to do me very serious harm if he felt he had nothing to lose kind of a thing, you know, depending on how well he gets on when he gets out. Do you work with him originally? Was that the case? Yeah. Yeah, I worked with him for 18 months and uh, to be honest there were no red flags at work none whatsoever and even everybody even the bosses went back over the, the CCTV in work because I was fortunate that we have very good CCTV in work um, and it was after he left that um, he lured me to the office of his new place employment and did, did make uh, an unwanted advance And um, but there was no red flags nothing, there was no red flags in work absolutely none, not one everybody was shocked so many questions you probably ask yourself isn't all of the people in the world and everybody in the workplace why me yeah yeah you know yeah well I think to be fair I I I think because I was separated no I never told him I was separated she was separated 10 years weren't you yeah yeah yeah, but I think if I had been living with a man he probably wouldn't have come oh because you know so obvious when you say that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, if I was living with somebody, the chances are that it, it wouldn't have happened because I, I doubt very much he would have broken in had he thought there was a man in the house. I know. You know. Yeah, yeah you were alone and perhaps he saw yeah. you as being vulnerable. But he didn't believe you were as strong as you were um, in, in no. so many different ways right across this story. What happened? Like, I mean, you were in court, weren't you? Yeah, I was in court. Um, so the first court hearing was the bail hearing in Clonmel, and then he appealed that's why to go to the High Court in Dublin. Um, then there was the um, there was the plea hearing in which he pled guilty, thank God, because that saved the trial. And then there was the sentencing hearing. So it was four times I think that I was. In court. And how did you manage to deal with the fact that you were in the same courtroom as him at the time, a number of occasions? Um, well, the, the worst one was in Clonmel because um, because of COVID, they had half the court blocked off. So there was a very small area and actually I was sitting in a seat and there was a guard next to me and then there was a pillar and then he was behind the pillar. So we were actually on the same row and I had to actually walk by him. I was within maybe four inches of him um, when I walked by him. Now the guards had their hands on his shoulder um, there was two standing either side of him with their hands on his shoulder and there was a guard on either side of him but just the fact that I had to 
walk that close by to him was very unnerving. Yeah, but he wasn't such a big man then because you described him as being sheepish and he avoided eye contact with you. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yeah, he was all apologies that day, but he had only told his wife that he was that about the vandalism. He hadn't told her anything else. So again, like it was all lies. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But still, I read somewhere that you still say that you feel pity for him. Um, pity for him in in as, in as much as he's after ruining his life, but more pity for his family because he dragged them into it. And they were completely innocent victims. Um, and I'm sure it has had a profound effect on them. Um, I don't really feel... I feel sorry for him in, in the fact... Like, it, it was his own doing. I, I don't feel sorry for him in that sense, but I just... He was a gobshite for what he did to his own yeah, life. You know, yeah, that kind of yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I really, really, really feel sorry for his family. Like, it's so was embarrassing and humiliating and there's just a, a you know there's a bit of a stigma attached to sex offenders and he is now a registered sex offender thanks again to the, the tenacity of, of the all guards like they really really pushed for yes. that after because that came after the court case that came after the sentencing um, it was about a month after, he was about a month in prison when I got the call to say that they were after getting him registered as a sex offender they, they really really had to push for that I'm very sorry to hear that you still worry about him when he comes out. There was no contact from jail. He never wrote or anything, no? No, 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 no. Because that would have been in breach. Yeah, thankfully. Yeah. You know, yeah. you hear sometimes yeah. people send letters of apology or something like that. No, 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 no. no. And to be honest, I don't want one. There, You can't apologise for that. You know, apologise. Sorry just isn't a big enough word for what he put me through. Mm-hmm. Have you managed to get on as best you can with the, with your life? Yeah, I have. Like it, as I said, like it, it, it does still affect me, and I think it will always affect me. And I think anybody who's been through it will know what I'm talking about. You know, the the anxiety is still there, um, and it's like some days it's not as bad, and other days it's it's crippling. So I think it depends on my own mental health on a particular day. But like some days, I just I just won't can't leave the house. You know, I just if if I, if I just won't like. Yeah, I know. It's sad, isn't it, that you you know you you don't feel safe in in public spaces or, or alone. Yeah, you're you're always on alert as a consequence of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But incredibly powerful, though, what you went through and how you survived it, and uh, bringing a man to justice and being part of this this survey, you and many others. Um, hopefully, something will be learned from it with regards to yeah. a, a new offence being put on the statute books for this. That's got to be a good thing, doesn't it? Yeah, oh, definitely, definitely, because it will, it'll raise awareness and it'll help people, it'll give people the confidence to report it and it'll give the guards confidence to record it and do something about it as well, you know, mm. um, because they're going to need training on how to handle people and, you know, how to, how to go forward. Oh, for case, sure, right? but in spite of that, even with whatever limited training they had, in your case, they still did incredible work, though, in every um, single my, way. My, my case was textbook. Like, it, it really was. It? Was. It, it was a masterclass on, on how to catch and prosecute a stalker. Like, it really, really was. There's an awful lot that can be learned from it. Yeah. You know, yeah. from everything, from the practical side of it to the personal side of it to the empathetic side of it. Like, 
they just everything they did was was a hundred percent right, oh, and I, I just couldn't have asked for better people to deal with. That's great to hear. Look after yourself, Una, and thanks, thanks again for taking much. the call. Mind yourself. Cheers. Take care for thanks. now. The great Bye-bye. Una Ring. Text 0868104106. Back after the break. Incidentally, yes, James Steele got fit at the age of 53, was jailed for five years in February 2021. Uh, it was originally a nine-year sentence with reductions for pleading a guilty a portion suspended. Uh, but Una said in that conversation that there's a very good chance that he will be out next year. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. Okay, uh, you know the drug dealing we were talking about there this morning. It's a story from the Echo and the Examiner and is part of the Cork City Joint Policing Committee where drug dealing is just off the charts now. You know, robbery and you know antisocial behaviour in the city um, and also shoplifting and stuff like that. But with regards to um, people openly dealing in drugs in, in the city centre. I was telling you that the Fianna Fáil councillor Colm Kelleher was at that meeting, witnessed it, open drug dealing in the city centre on Sunday afternoon. Could I just say, you don't actually have to buy your drugs uh, from dealers in the city centre anymore. You can do it all online. Uh, we did some work on this about uh, a week ago. Seamus did some work on this with regards to Twitter advertising, where on Twitter, you can buy anything you want. There are accounts up there. You can buy even edible drugs for children that have uh, narcotics in them. So you're looking at things like cocaine or marijuana, edibles uh, and they're available in all towns and villages anyone can buy them you just click in and do your deal and it's delivered or you you meet up or whatever the case may be um up to uh, and including uh, cocaine don't not so sure about heroin but i suppose in this day and age anything goes but we were in touch with twitter about this and apparently even though they were shown the posts on twitter shown them the posts advertising drugs for sale on Twitter in towns across Cork. Twitter came back and said, these posts do not violate our safety policies. I mean, it was an astonishing thing. Um, And the packaging that the kids are getting with these sweets, they look like sweets. So they can be very attractive to children. And, you know, even those sweets that are actually drugs laced with sugar and what have you, you're only supposed to take one or whatever the case may be. But children eat entire packets of things. But it's all up there and... uh, that was the response from Twitter. Um, you can get drug dealers will get you the same day of delivery on drugs online any day of any week in any Cork town uh, or village. So that's what's happening. And Twitter is saying, well, it doesn't actually breach our policy, which I think is extraordinary. Uh, Tommy Gould was part of that meeting yesterday at the Joint Policing uh, Committee on Leaside. Tommy, good morning. Good morning, so, Neil. And Neil, just before we go into that, I was just to let your listeners know at 7pm tonight, I'm hosting an online meeting for Cox City Council tenants who have problems with, uh, huge problems with mold, damp. You've covered the story here over the last couple of weeks. Yeah. So just to let your listeners know if they want to contact my office or Facebook, they, and we're looking for people to come on the meeting tonight. Okay, 7 o'clock, um, where is that on? Online, over Zoom and... Uh, I'll send out the link to anyone. Do what you do. Send me the link and I'll, I'll give Just kind of, seeing as you brought it up, because I don't have only limited time, there, there will be a vote tomorrow on the eviction ban. Will the government, yes. have, will the gov- government have the numbers, do you think, or is it very, very tight with regards to the rurals and independents and the opposition? Well, it's very tight now at the moment, Neil. Uh, from what I can gather, some of the rural independents and other independents are looking for commitments from the government. Now, what we don't want to see is a kind of a... Uh, a sale or auction politics. The auction politics is too serious for that. We've asked every uh, TD to vote to extend the ban. 
Like Neil, even Lady I'm dealing with the moment who's got cancer, herself, her husband and one child are going to be evicted on the 1st of April. Yeah. I actually spoke to him, he was on to me last week about it because I raised a, he, he knew I was dealing with this family. Uh, like, she can't tell anyone because she doesn't want her child to know she has cancer and she's going to be homeless on the 1st of April. The woman is distraught. She's undergoing chemo treatment at the moment. And how any government official could think that people, treating people who are vulnerable like this in the way they're treating them, it, it's a scandal, yeah, Neil. Yeah. And Neil, I, I, I wrote to Paul Drigo Sullivan and Colin Buck last Thursday, and I asked him, would you come on to your show this week, today or tomorrow, to debate with me why they are going to vote with the government tomorrow night? Yeah. Because I think Colin and Paul, they need to nail their colours to the mats now, either they're going to vote with people, are they going to vote with the government and do us not told? Okay, well, I'm happy to come back and do that any day this week if you want to make that happen. Um, and and let's let's chat more about evictions on the air over the next couple of days, obviously. But with the time that's left to me, because this is um, you know this this issue regarding particularly you're honing in on youths. These are young children as young as ten being used as runners. Um, there should be a tussle involvement, and that's straight away you're saying you're talking about gans, ga- cars and vans pulling up, people beating each other in the middle of the day, ambulances having to be called, violent assaults, issues like that, and children as young as ten or eleven becoming intimidated, uh, involved in intimidation and antisocial behaviour. Did all this feature yesterday at that meeting? Yes, well, I brought it up, and I've been raising. I brought it up at the, the policing forum last week, and I've been in contact with a number of garden stations in the city about different incidents that are coming up. It's, um, you see, can I say it, O'Neill? My worry is we've seen some of the things that have happened in Dublin, and my worry is that we don't have the garden resources in Cork to deal with a major incident. No, can I say the garden are doing great work? And I'm talking to all the guardians who are on the ground and they are at the pin of their collar. And my worry now with the summer coming in, like Cork is a relatively safe place. It's a relatively, it's a good place to live. But the worry now is you see more and more of these gangs hanging out. They contacted Tusla because I'm concerned about a couple of families in particular. And I went and I've been out to the guards as well, right. where young people are being used and manipulated and these are these are children, and they're getting involved with criminal gangs and gangs of young people. So, I, I, I'm not trying to over. I, I'm not trying to terrify people, Liam, because the vast majority of the time, cop is a great place to live. But there are more and more times now where it's getting. But how you, you're talking about forty youths terrorising locals in Cork City? Uh, well, have you yeah. seen that or what? What what, what is the story well, behind that? I, I tell you, know what happened, Neil? Uh, last two weeks ago. There was an incident where there was more of ice being driven at speed in cars. Some of them were stolen, some of them weren't. Uh, people were afraid to go onto the road because they were afraid in case there was be an accident. Uh, one of the one young fellas involved actually crashed the bike. The guy had to come. He had to be taken away by ambulance. I actually went when I heard about it. I went up there. I saw the young fellas. I walked over myself. I call all the uncles and girls, mostly uh, teenage boys between 15 and 18. I said, listen, you're terrifying people. You mightn't understand it, but when people look at a gang as big as you and look at the bikes and the cars, people are afraid. I said, would you please go home? Yeah. Or would you please leave the area? And to be fair, they did. They said, no problem, Tommy. And uh, we, did, we didn't realize what we were doing. Actually, one fellow said to me, we didn't realize what we were doing then. 
And I said, but just look around, like, look at the group, the size of the group. And the Gavi, you would hear now, the Gavi witnessed this, and uh, they, they dispersed, thankfully. But the point was, at one stage, you're kind of 50 young people involved, and a lot of them were just hanging around to see what was happening. Mm. A lot of these kids would have been good kids. But once you get two or three troublemakers in the them, you see what happened in Dublin, a situation then can, can escalate very quickly. Mm, mm, mm. Are you aware of what was also said yesterday about the open drug dealing in the city and children being used as runners for dealers? You're, you're aware of that? Well, can I say, the, I've been contacted by a number of businesses in the city centre who've told me that they can see open drug dealing every day and they're also making the point that they're coming in, stealing things from their shops, just walking in the door of their shop, yeah. picking things up. They're not afraid of the owners or the staff of the business. They're not afraid of the gallery and they're walking back over and it's a laugh and a joke. But if people can see open drug dealing on the streets, then surely the Gardaí can see open drug dealing on the streets as well. You see, the problem Neil, is the Gardaí has to be there. And the big issue at the moment, and the huge issue right across the whole state, there's a major shortage of gathering numbers. I spoke in the dial last week, and like I, I raised the dial last week, and it was actually said to me by Gerard afterwards. I said, "You new Gerard coming on, like they can't afford." to buy or rent a property in any town or city. We can't get Gardaí because it's not attractive to them, the job anymore. Yeah. 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 And Gerard said to me, Neil, uh, actually, she said to me, she said, uh, she's just six of them sharing at the moment. Yeah, sorry. Have to share one house. That's how... And like, the whole terms and conditions of the girls make it a more attractive for the Gary to join. And you see, like, Gary spoke to me about the shifts, and I spoke to one girl uh, whose marriage had broke up last year, and he said the, anti, the uh, anti-social hours that they have to walk for years and years yeah, yeah, you're breaking up on me there. So the, at the yeah. end, at the end of the day, we're back to the old chestnut. If we had more Gardaí on the beat, we'd have more people arrested for the crimes they're committing, right? Oh, we need. And the other thing is, if you're Gardaí in the ground, you won't have the criminals because you'll just they, like the criminals now feel so confident yeah. at the moment that they won't get arrested yeah. that the open drug dealing. That was very rare in Catholic. Neil, you're, you're around a long time. Yeah. Did you open no, and see... No, never seen the light. No, 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 I've never seen no. it. No, and I'm in town a lot and I see it all of the time just to carry on and it. it's not always drug dealing but it's acting the fool and hassling people and fighting and roaring and screaming at each other and drug dealing and it's in, it's not down a laneway anymore now. It can be open, saw it recently, open daylight on Oliver Plunkett Street. Okay, well listen, I'll come back to you with regards to the eviction ban. If there's anything that's uh, happening over the course of the day, do stay in touch and we'll see what happens tomorrow. All right, Tommy? Thank you, Lee. Appreciate Bye-bye. it, Tommy Gould, TD. Text 0868 We're back after 10. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from 4 for Dave Max Drive where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from 4. Dave Max Drive. All right, text from yesterday's programme. We spoke a lot about uh, the famine or the great hunger and we spoke about Cars Hill as you're on the topic of the famine graves in St. Joseph's as well. In the last couple of years, all of the daffodils on one of the famine graves have been cut down before they even get to bloom. I was wondering if this was a council directive. What's the reason for this? Seems to me it's very disrespectful. I don't know why anybody would intentionally cut down flowers full stop whether they'd bloomed or not. Uh, there are people employed in city council that haven't a clue about Cork, past or present. 
they, this should change in order to embrace our culture, says Bob. The reason he's sending that text is the awful state of the uh, Cars Hill uh, famine graveyard. I saw it on Sunday afternoon with my own two eyes and I couldn't believe why it's just been left to go to rack and ruin. Um, Dara and Blarney says it's because priorities are all wrong. You can be damn sure if there was some reason to com- commemorate other events like Black Lives Matters on Cars Hill, the council would be doing their best and putting up signs and remembrance for it. No problem, says Dara. Well, I, you're honing in on one particular uh, campaign, I suppose, but I take the point you're making um, that the priorities don't seem to be in the right places all of the time. No disrespect to the ones that they are prioritising, but I think Cars Hill really is an absolute disgrace. 30,000 people buried there. Um, another one or two texts then uh, with regards to Irish pubs. Uh, somebody took me to task. I just don't go into Irish pubs overseas. I just, no interest in them there. A lot of them are just kit pubs and they're just formulaic. And the food usually isn't all that great either. I'm open to correction on that. Somebody says, you've no problem with the Irish pubs in New York. Well, at any of the pubs that I would go to in New York, I wouldn't deem as being Irish pubs. They'd be sports bars with good food, I suppose. I mean, Longacre Tavern or uh, Smithfield Hall. A lot of Irish people go in there, but they're not Irish pubs in the way they're designed or built. But anyway, uh, Sean of West Cork says, uh, I go to German bars in Hamburg, because we were talking uh, with uh, the um, pub in Hamburg yesterday. I go to German bars in Hamburg and they have great football teams as well. Hamburg, you were asking, is it a good place to visit? It is a great place for sightseeing. If you have a sweet tooth, that's the place for you. Love the show, says Sean. Uh, I'd say I have more of a savoury tooth than a sweet tooth, to be quite honest with you. Mind you, if there's chocolate in the fridge, I'll eat it. And then lots of people then talking about uh, dumping rubbish over the past few days. One in particular, in fairness to this texter, you need to highlight the scumbags who are actually dumping bags of road, uh, dumping bags of rubbish on the road, and in our case, outside our front door. He says, I went through the rubbish and found a name and number which belongs to the person who dumped it. But that's where the text ends. I wonder what did you do with that information? You had the name and the number of the dumper. Did you do anything with it? Contact anyone? Did you contact them? Uh, morning, Neil. As far as, and that's what I saw up at Cars Hill, actually, an awful lot of just litter strewn all over the place. The Cars Hill Cemetery is still used as a pauper's graveyard. People who died without means to a burial, says Pat. I don't think so. I, I, I don't think that it's being used anymore. Um, and I don't think you would have anybody buried now without headstone, uh, you know, even if they didn't have money. I think it would be a lovely and a nice idea to set up a donation site or something like that for the graves in need. People, if they can, would donate to a fund for graves in need and fix up some of the graves that are just forgotten. People should not be forgotten, says Emma. And thank you for that. And just one or two more then on... You remember Paula on air yesterday? She had the food truck on Academy Street. And she was there and she had her license and she paid the fee and she rocked up to Emmett Place on St. Patrick's Day and got grief from one particular business owner or at least somebody working in one particular business. Now, we have contact, contacted the company. This could well be a Garda matter. So how much more I can say about this, I don't know, because the guards were called. At one stage, Paula's power was cut. It was cut. She had a generator and the truck, and the power between the two was cut. So the guardie will certainly be investigating that. But the company that she said um, that this person came from, we were in touch with them a couple of times yesterday. Nobody's coming back to us, so we'll have to see what happens as to whether they're actually going to say anything about why they behave that way. Um, But food trucks inside in the city, so Paula was there and got a lot of harassment. A lot of texts on that. Um, 
they cut her power? Do they actually think they own the streets? They may own the business, but they don't own the streets. Food trucks are great and licensed trucks should be allowed in designated areas like Emmett Place or Dawn Square. They should not be permitted to occupy legal parking spaces. There are not enough places in the city as it is unless you have a blue uh, disability pass, says Colin. Um, whatever happened, it still does not justify criminal damage, regardless of whether it's competition to the businesses or not. I agree with you there. No wonder that we don't want to shop or eat in the city with attitudes like this from business owners. Whoever did this should be named and shamed. What a disgraceful act. And Neil, you shouldn't have said, oh, if I had a business, I wouldn't like a van pulling up outside either. Blah, blah, blah. It's two totally different eateries selling different things. The business in question couldn't see that either. I wouldn't be at all one bit happy with someone parking outside my restaurant selling food, even if it is takeaway. People who might be thinking of coming into the restaurant might be tempted to have that takeaway instead. I would not be happy with the situation at all. And I'm a city centre business. Uh, very annoyed with one thing. Causing criminal damage is another. And she also said she didn't choose the location. The council put her there. Um, this Brazilian woman should get a refund from Cork City Council for the fee. Uh, well, maybe she should. I don't know. Maybe it might result in uh, criminal damage and she might get a payment from the business. That business owner needs a kick up the arse. Cork City is the place for their gripe, as in City Hall. Why are you questioning this lady? The city is managing the licenses. Um, Neil, she didn't rock up, as you said. She had a license. She doesn't need you harassing her as well. I wasn't harassing her. I was just having a robust conversation with her. Just a little bit of pushback. She had no problem with that. I was trying to make points on behalf of the Cork business community. That girl with the food truck, she did everything right. Contacting the city council, getting the license. Should every right to be there? <clears throat> and if a local business thinks that a Brazilian hot dog truck is going to put them out of business, then they need to take a serious look at their own business model. Food trucks seem to be on the up and up. And now people are trying to intimidate them to leave and they're resorting to criminal damage. She had a right to be there, says Desi. Thanks for those texts. Keep them coming. Text 0868 104 106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106. Red FM. It's an update there. The Examiner reporting this morning that the eviction ban vote is expected to go down to the slimmest of margins. We've got a number of independents declaring they intend to side with Sinn Féin, but it will be very, very, very slim. Uh, and uh, Sinn Féin have tabled a motion, obviously, due to be debated in the Dáil this evening, which would extend the eviction moratorium until the end of January next year. But you have a lot of independents, and some of them are engaging in a bit of uh, auction politics, wondering what they can get for their own communities, depending on who uh, they vote for, as in they'll vote with the government if they get something locally. Is that what, like the Tony Gregory move or, or things like that, or I suppose to an extent the power of the independent vote, I suppose. Anyway, more on that, but back to the phone lines we go. Amy, thanks for holding. Good morning to you. Thanks for holding on. Uh, just picking up on housing, wasn't it? Yeah. Are you, are you aware, just because I know you have some very interesting points to make, but are you aware that the average turnaround of a Cork City Council house is 75 weeks on average, which is um, a year and three months? Okay, yeah, no, I wasn't. Did you know that? Yeah. That's 75 weeks, and they're now saying that they're putting together a new strategy that would reduce that turnaround time from 75 weeks to 32 I don't know whether it's a promise they can it's keep. It's been very long. 
It's still very long. 32 would still be very long. It should be a matter of weeks, not 32 weeks, nor 75 weeks as it is now. But you just wanted to kind of pick up on, it's somewhat related to that, turning over houses, isn't it? Yeah, um, so like at the moment, the the council housing, it's not um, recycled, for want of a better word, um, in the sense that we'll say if somebody gets a house in in the 60s off the council, um, a husband and wife, they're married, uh, have children, all the children have have grown up. Say a three-bed council house is an example. Yeah, 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 for for example, you know, four children, etc., and they've some of them have gone across the world or, you know, they, they've moved away. Um, so you might have a, a, a lady there on her own, her, her husband might have passed away. Nobody might be calling to her from one end of the week to the other, you know, where she might just see a neighbour kind of passing by with yeah. a quick hello. Yeah. Um, especially the way a lot of kind of housing estates are gone now, you don't know who your neighbour is, you know, three, four doors down. Um, but essentially, like, a lot of them now, you're, you're hearing, you know, they're, they're struggling to heat the house. You know, they're they're struggling to buy food. It's either, you know, a choice of uh, being being warm or, or being hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you love elderly people, you know, trying to maintain the house, trying to maintain a three bedroom house. They're not going to be as mobile as they, they would have been 20, 30 years ago. Um, so, like, what I was thinking is, you know, every town area um, and city area should have, like, a, a community kind of apartments um, where they're a gated community and um, with, say, two or three or apartment blocks that are for people, you know, 60 years plus, whenever they decide they, they'd like to go in there. So it's, you know, it, it would give them a better quality of life. They'd have more social human interaction. The house that they're coming out of can get turned around for another family. Mm. Um, they can go into, you know, a two-bed or one-bed apartment. They might have grandchildren that they take, you know, one or two nights a week sort of thing, and that can be accommodated put a little cafe in there, a little rec room, they all get to socialise with each other. It's gated, so they do feel safer. They're not wondering about people, you know, coming into their, their house or breaking in. Um, or dying and, alone. And exactly, that, that's the, the, the last point I was going to make. Sorry. There's so many people hearing now um, that, you know, they, they've been in the house for, for 10 years before they're, they're, they're found and, and they've, they've been dead for 10 years or, or nobody checking in on them. So it, it eliminates all of that. And, you know, again, they're, they're seeing people every day with, with a much better quality of life. Yeah, and I suppose the upside to it is mentally they'll be sharper and they'll have a better outlook on life because they're mixing with people all of the time of like age and, you know, the same type, yeah. of, type, type of interest. So you'd be, they'd be more alert, might stave off issues like, say, for instance, even old age itself or, or dementia or issues like that, right? Yeah, exactly. And but, I mean, like, as I say, if, it, if it's a gated complex, like a simple thing, like a rec room, so that, you know, the the, the men can go in and play their, their 45 card game or, you know, ladies might have a, a bingo night in there, um, you know, and you can always have little areas where they can do gardening, keep active, and there, there can be plenty of stuff to be done inside there, and it can be easily um, government-run, you, know, you know, where they're, they're paying what they would have been paying uh, towards council. Okay, well, let's let's just have a look at this a little deeper then, because ultimately you are asking someone or maybe even forcing somebody to leave their family home where all their memories are, where they're comfortable, Mm -hmm. where they're at peace, where their children were reared, where their happiest memories were. And you're saying to them, "Okay, it's too big for you. You're getting too old. We can't let you have it anymore. You're out. I like it, it wouldn't be that that open and shut. Like, um, you know, some people might not want to go. It's not going to be a case where you're going to say, right, you know, out, you get out. But, you know, if if 
there was like obviously there might be a bit of a stigma attached to you know this place being like oh retirement village I'm not old but you know obviously if reports are done and people see you know how well that it would be progressing and how happy the people are in there and you know that, that they're not alone and we'll say like there can even be a, a try period where you know yeah. you, you go stay there for three months Oh you're not like going it. down into a dining room for your meals you you have your own place, your own apartment and your own kitchen exactly, and stuff. Yeah. yeah and I mean you have the choice whether you know you'd want a one bed or a two bed and you can always have a, a pull out couch which can turn into a third bedroom if you yeah. ever have children that, yeah. that want to stay over. And it, that frees up the properties then for city council to give to people who want to rear families in a three or a four bed. Yeah exactly like uh, people are living a lot longer so this is going to be uh, you know uh, an issue that, that is ongoing that people are in in their houses for significantly longer than, you know, they, again, they would have been, you know, 40, 50 years ago. Mm, mm, um, mm. So it, it is something that... Would it be an option for somebody be. who owned their own house where they might say, you know what, I like that idea. I like that idea of companionship and having friends around and people of a similar age and living with others, you know, and interacting. Because I have a lonely life here. I might just sell my home, either privately yeah. or to the council and move. Yeah, of course. Like it, it should, it should be, you know, uh, 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 something that that anybody can access. It shouldn't just be social housing, but um, it, it should be, you know, the the amount they're paying to be in there should be, you know, kind of equivalent to what they would have been paying in in, in council rent or council tax. Okay, and does this exist in your um, in your knowledge? I don't know. Like I know, obviously, you, you retirement villages, but there a lot of them are, are privately run and cost a significant amount of money. I don't think the government have anything, I don't think there's anything like this exists government-wise in, in any country, not not that I've, I've come across anyway. Do mm, mm. you think that it would be, uh, that there would be pushback to it though, that people would feel as if they're being forced to do something against their wishes? You're saying it would be yeah, optional? But again, it, it would have to be, you know, shown to them, like, look, this, this is an option. It, it's not something you're, you're going to be forced into. And then, again, it, it might become the norm that, you know, and that's what I'm saying, you're not telling somebody right where, where um, you know, you're you're from Glanmire, you have to get out of Glanmire, you know, put one up in Glanmire, put yeah. one up in, yeah. you know, Mahan, uh, north side, south side, etc. So you're not taking these people miles away from, from their familiar zones. And as well as that, you know, it would be a day out for them rather than seeing their neighbour for 20 minutes. Or, you know what, I'll actually call to Mary today and spend an hour or two yeah, with her. For their mental health, I can see the benefits to it. I'm, no, I'm, just, I'm just trying to look at what would be the negatives to it and you know, it wouldn't be forced, it wouldn't be a rule or a law, it just would be an option. And then it would free yeah. up the bigger property that has the three or the four bedrooms or whatever in the big back gardens that isn't just being used, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, I, I don't know how many elderly people, you know, like living, like, obviously some of them love their own peace, you know, and quiet, etc. But even a lot of them are saying, you know, they don't feel safe in their home anymore. True, um, true, And yeah, like, again, yeah. you have elderly people in council housing that don't feel safe in their house. What are the council, the council aren't going to do anything for them to make them feel safer? Safety you know, in numbers, though, is what you're suggesting then, yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. So it, it it would be gated. There there would be people around, you know, it, it's not, it's that there is constant people in there. You know, you you can have security, you can have cameras, and again, it's 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 just a much better quality of life. I feel. Just before you go there, um, uh, the local councillor Mick Nugent has just texted to say Sonus Apartments in Knocknahini would be an example of what Amy is talking about. Um, I must have a closer look at that in Knocknahini. It seems as if that might exist or something similar to it. Okay. Yeah, let's have a closer look at that one. You know, I mean, it's, listen, 
It's still a novel idea. Let's see what other people think of it. But thank you, Amy. Appreciate you taking the call. Text 0868104106. What do you think of that as perhaps an option that could be investigated? But the other story, of course, is the turnaround times from 75 weeks. They're saying they're promising that by the end of the year, they'll get it down to 32. I've heard many, many promises down through the years. Let's see if they deliver on it. They can get stuck in already because they're saying that they'll return 400 vacant properties from repair ready for allocation this year. That over the course of 2023, this year, 400 vacant city council properties will be back in use with people living in them. Uh, text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Pat, thanks for waiting. Appreciate it. You there? No problem. Now, I obviously don't want to know, nor can I know anything about the company the way you were outside of, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, yes, no problem. Thank you. You understand that. But you, you, you wanted to just pick up on, what was it exactly you're talking about? Powers of the Garda Shikana and what they can and can't do, is it? Yes. Um, what they're claiming they can't do. Okay, go ahead. So, so tell the story, but again... Well, uh, I, I worked for a company for 20 years. When I reached 65, I was given a week's notice. Okay? Yeah. So I picketed a company. This was back in 2020. Yeah. And I had a paddy wagon turning up. Now, this is a peaceful picket. I was on my own. I wasn't disturbing anybody from going about their business. And I had a paddy wagon turning up from Mayfield out the station. And uh, Paddy, they took my name and, uh, and address. Right. It was the same time as the Debenhams workers found themselves in the same position. Right. And uh, they they had their names and address taken as well. And did you willingly and give your to, details to the guardie from Mayfield when they called with the paddy wagon? Yes, I gave my my my. I I didn't see any point in knocking it. Yeah, you didn't necessarily have to, though, did you? I, I, I think, I think when you're approached, I think you do. Do you? Okay. I think you do. I think if they request your name and address, I think you do. Okay, but this was a peaceful protest. You were doing nothing yes, wrong. Yes, I had a placard and I was peacefully protesting. I wasn't shouting, roaring, or preventing anyone from going about their business. But my point is is that the city centre now is a dangerous place by day or night. But they do have cameras in Anglesey Street and I can't understand why they, why they don't see the drug dealing going on. And if they do, why are they, why are they not doing anything about oh, it? They are doing. It's not that they're not doing anything about it. I mean, there are Gardaí. A lot of them are plain clothes. They are lifting dealers. I mean, I see plain clothes Gardaí and detectives on the streets of Cork watching and observing and then moving in for arrest. I mean, I see them. Well, well if, if they are, how is it, how is it that uh, your show seems to be, another show seems to be saying that it's going on. How is it that there's so much 
drug dealing going on. There is. The don't, no, there is. But the, no, but there is a lot going on and, and there's still more to be done. But you see the court reports on a daily basis, people before the courts for dealing and possession and distribution and what have you. I saw in the papers this morning that the chief was saying that we have 110 people detected with drugs already around the city so far for January and February alone. They arrested 35 people for, 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 for possession of drugs for sale or supply, but quite clearly not more can be done. They're not doing enough because they're on every street corner. So arrests are being made, but not enough. Yes, and and why why isn't there enough being done? I mean, they're also complaining about their their rosters. We've all had to walk. Any person, male or female, has had to walk rosters. Neil. Yeah, they've had to walk outside their normal walking hours. Yeah, sometimes it comes with the job. And the DRD or the army or anybody else, they're no different. Except for the pay that they get for the job is shockingly bad. And everybody, if, listen, we've all had to work for low pay. We've all had to work for bad pay. Yeah, but... Let's be clear about it. No, I know that, let's but see. I think in the eyes of the private economy, unfortunately, you are at the whim of the employer, but in the public sector... That always traditionally paid well. It, it doesn't now anymore. And you would think that, that those involved in um, medic, medics, medical professions or people involved well, in look, law and I order or fire brigades. Sector army life. And I, I, wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought that was very highly well paid. No, that's what I'm saying. That's what happens. But if you're a, if you're a guard now and you're starting off as a guard, you're on 30 grand. Which... Which isn't bad starting off. You, well, it would take you a long, long time to get up from point one to point four, which is 36 grand. I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty poor, the Garda pay scale. Yeah, there's, peop- there's, people, there's people a lot more starting off, England. There's people, there's, people, there's people in places 10 years and they won't achieve that. Yeah, in the, in the private sector, maybe, and that's the problem. Yeah. But yeah. Tell, so are you saying that they were fast enough to come and Ask you for your details with the paddy wagon when you're protesting. Yes, and people who are not breaking any laws. You'd prefer to see them with the paddy wagon throwing a load of drug dealers into the back of it? Yes. Right. That's exactly, and that's what they should be doing. People who are breaking the law. Not people who are fighting for their rights and not breaking the law. But are you aware of the amount of grief that the guards have to put up with now when they're going about their business? Yes, and... and, People are much saucier and cheekier and... uh, the, the people before the courts a lot now for calling them names and threatening them and spitting at them and saying they're going to rape their children and their wife and all this kind of stuff. Neil, when they approach me again, my name no, is... No, you did, of course, because you're, you're an honourable guy. You are, you're just a gentleman. I understand that. But they have to put up with an awful lot more grief now from people, just saucy people, you know? Uh, yes. Like, and who'd want to do that for the money they've been paid or the hours they're working? Think about but it. But they, like. they are the, the people and then they should be targeting yeah. Not, not somebody who is like, according to you, like themselves, who are trying to fight up for their own pay and condition. Yeah, I think there's a serious lack of respect for Gardaí, though, unfortunately. I think the actual Gardaí on the beat get blamed for a lot of things that are not of their individual making, you know? Neil, do you remember we say about 10 years ago when they started riding the bikes around the city? Yeah, yeah, good idea, yeah. You don't see very many bikes being ridden around the city now. 
unfortunately, you know, unfortunately, we see them for all of the wrong reasons. Whereas if people behave themselves and cop themselves on and weren't engaging in criminality in the first place, we'd live in a much safer world, much safer city if people just behaved, you know? Like, I'm a, I'm a pedestrian, and I find being a pedestrian is a nightmare. So we walk around the, walk around the suburbs or the city on the footpaths. Yeah, I feel I feel all right. I mean, you know, I'm a bit more bothered if there was a, if I was cycling around on a bike. To be honest with you, you have to well, be on foot, red alert. Footpaths, footpaths are either corroded with cars parked in them, vans parked in them. You have cyclists using them. You have people on electric scooters using them that you can't even hear. Coming. Oh, listen, we're sharing it with an awful lot more. I understand that. But tell me, yeah. what what happened in the end? I mean, how long did you pick it for? Not very, not very long, because the people who I had worked with passed me for years. Passed the picket. People who I had worked with for years passed me. Right. And was that because you were picketing because you felt that you shouldn't be laid off for the week's notice because you would hit retirement age, is it? Yes. And you, 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 know, you know yourself, if you're 65, you're still not getting the pension until you're 66. Yeah. And yep. it should be optional. Not everybody wants to retire. I know they're demonstrating in France because they want to keep the retirement age till 62. Not everybody. It should be optional. But in the private sector, can't you just work away? You can't. Once you sign a contract, and if, if, 20, if, you, if you start in the job, as I said, like I did 20 years prior to that, and you sign the contract, 20 years later, I mean, you're after forgetting about it, signing a contract 20 years prior. And in my case, in my case, of course, the company had changed hands, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. Did you get another job then, though? No, 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 no. So once you put on your age and a CV, you have no hope in hell. You won't even get it. You won't even get an application or an answer back. Did you try? I did. What kind of jobs? All sorts of different jobs? All sorts of different jobs. Never got an answer. Yeah. You were very much involved in, in security for a long time, weren't you? Yes. So why in the name of God would somebody not hire you with all your experience? Sure, age is only a number. Once you, as I said, Neil, once you put on your age. You're dismissed. No interest. Yes. Nobody will reply to you. Sad, isn't it? Yes. I'm afraid that's, that's the be all and end all. It's discrimination. But it's not looked upon by society as that. How did that and, make you and, feel and then the when you were... How did that make you... How did it make you feel, though? And I was wasting my time. But how did it make you feel to be ignored and rejected like that? Well, it's, it, it, it was like maybe being, being a person of colour. That in, kind of in, discrimination. In, you yeah. know, it's like the thing in, in, in the UK years and years ago, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. Yeah. Same thing. Yeah. All right, my man. Mind yourself, Pat. As always, uh, thanks for getting. Take a power trade. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. I wonder if other people have opinions on that or stories like that to share. Hopefully, they'll get in touch. Thanks, Pat. Text zero eight six eight one zero four one zero six. You can always email your story if you wish. Neil at redfm.ie. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 Corks Red FM. Back to the phone lines. We go, Karen. Good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Okay, talking about council houses with uh, maybe one or two people, maybe one person in them. The family's all rare. Go ahead. 
Yes, um, I live in Blackrock and on the Skehard Road there is a little gated community there that they do put, um, you know, one and two bedrooms but they're quite small. Um, and I know personally of two houses that um, people were taken out of but those houses still remain idle. There is one in Knockpoke Park in the north side, it's a two-bedroomed bungalow that they put a lady into Skehard Road from. Mm. Um, there was people went in, the house was completely gutted, gardens all done and everything. Um, they had, uh, you know, professional companies there doing the whole lot. And the house is back idle and the garden is all back overgrown again. You know, the house was never let out. And there is another one. It's on Rope Walk. It's, it's, I think, it, to the best of my knowledge, it's either a three- or a four-bedroomed house. It's a double-sided house. A double garden in the front. There's a driveway. There's an absolutely huge back garden. It's about 80 to 100 feet long. And the house is completely boarded up. And that lady was actually on a show, I think it was on RTE, telling about the houses and about downsizing. And that house still remains there. I mean, it's a fantastic family home for a large family. So after all of the work was done and the renovations, whatever was needed, Mm -hmm. was all completed and the trades moved in, did the work and left... And it was now a yeah, that's the one in Knockpoke Park. Yeah. Yeah. So in Knockpoke. And, the house is still idle. and then they just locked it again after all the renovation yep. was done, and and now it's just back to yeah, uh, you know, yeah, disrepair. Yeah, and like they had a landscape gardener, well, you know, guy cutting down trees and bushes and stuff. I mean, he was there for easily a week. So I mean, that cost huge money, you know, to do all that work and then let it be back overgrown again. And how long is it just sitting there as one example? About three years, maybe two and a half, three years, that mm-hmm. house is sitting there and the one on um, Roebuck is sitting there a bit longer, maybe about six months longer. Three and a half years? Yeah. After all of the work was done to refurb it, they just Well, no, the second one wasn't redone. The one on Roebuck was, was never touched. That right. was just boarded up and hasn't been touched So one is all. boarded and the other was refurbed and both of them yeah. just sit there, particularly the one that was mm-hmm. refurbed. Nothing in three years. Just no, sitting nothing. there. And it's it would be a... lovely for, you know, it's a little bungalow. It would be lovely for, you know, a, a, maybe a single mom or something because it's a two-bedroomed bungalow. So frustrating to hear those stories. You know, it's just so frustrating because it just isn't good enough. Like, it's not Oh, yeah, good but enough. like, I mean, they, they have the, you know, the knowledge to know that this is what, you know, we need. We need a gated community for our elderly people who are willing to give up their Okay, I accept that part of the story, there. but... but it, they don't it, carry the... They don't carry it through. I mean, if they carried it through, if Neil, if the houses are livable when the people give them up, they need it to be boarded up and revamped. I mean, that's telling that the houses aren't livable, even though they have people living in them. I know, but even if they're perfect, you know, they should be relet. But if they're not, fix them up and let them faster a bit. Like if they say this is an average turnaround, seventy-five weeks in Cork City, average. In your case, of course, you're telling us stories of ones that are substantially longer. Than a yeah. year, year and a half. In your own case, yeah. it's three years. Yeah, that's right. And there are hundreds of them. But the g- I mean, literally, if you walk just literally around Blackrock and Mahan, I mean, just off the top of my head now, right next to, and I don't know if the council owned them or they're privately owned, but it doesn't matter. They should be, you know, push on people who privately owned houses. If you look at um, St. Michael's Church in Blackrock, to the right-hand side of that, there's three houses there. They've been blocked up for years. I mean, they must be blocked up. I'm in Blackrock 30 years. They must be locked up since then. Mm. Mm. And, you know, there's, nobody lives in them. You know, the same if you walk down around Mahan. There are some brilliant three-bedroomed family homes down around Mahan that are all boarded up. And have been for long periods of time. Oh, yeah, 
have been for huge, but like even in um, in Buckley's Field in Blackrock, there is a lovely little houses there that they built on one side. I think they're part owned by the council is the way they were at the start and part privately owned. And then there was a, another group at the other side where they're little bungalows that were let out to disabled people or elderly people. But like I remember a gentleman dying in one of those and the house was empty for two years before they moved oh, somebody else in. Second heartbreaking, it really is. And it's how, ridiculous. how does the um, the gated communities work then? Because you mentioned one down in Scahard Road. Somebody else is mentioning a second one in Blackpool and then somebody mentioned the third then in Knocknahini where people would give up their homes and go in and live in their own little apartments I suppose with, with other like-minded people with them is it? Yes to the best of my knowledge that's the way it works that they literally have one or two bedrooms you know some people might need to have a family member stay with them and they'd be quite small bedrooms and um, they can just come and go on there the one on Scarhard Road sure it's near the credit union it's near Super Value it's near Aldi it's literally walking distance from everything the bus stop is you know literally outside and would they have, it yeah, is but a would, fabulous idea yeah, but would they have given up their council property to move there? Yes. Okay. Yes. Or would they have sold their own private house to move there? No. Well, the two ladies that I know of, both they were belonging to the council. Both and are they happy there? Yes, to the best of my knowledge. One lady was delighted to move down from the north side because she was closer to family that lived down in the, you know, down around Blackrock and Mahan, and she had a bit more support, so she was quite happy to give okay. up her home and um, move down there. So, yeah, as far as I know, they're quite happy. Okay, all right. Thank you, Karen. Appreciate you taking the call. Text 0868104106. Just back on relationships and relationship issues from earlier on, chatting with Una Ring uh, down in Yall. Um, Issues involving um, a lot of the time the people that are harassing you or threatening you or, you know, stalking and you know them. Um, It can be, uh, sometimes it can be when relationships break down. Uh, I found out an ex cheated on me and he beat the crap out of me for finding out that he cheated on me. You couldn't make this kind of stuff up. I can't come on air, but what the people have been saying about, you know, on the programme recently about being love-bombed as being a big sign, if you're being love-bombed at the start of a relationship, these men will target weak and insecure females. Uh, They get into your head and they mentally beat you down. I was assaulted by a guy. He then cried his eyes out and was so sorry for what he did. Then after a few months, it was no longer an apology anymore. At that stage, it had turned into my fault. At that stage, it had turned into I deserved it. I went to the guardie. He simply got bound to the peace. Our legal system is the biggest load of horse crap. Well, after what's just been spoken about earlier this morning and the new survey that's been done and the recommendations given from it, I hopefully feel that I hopefully think that you will not have somebody bound to the peace if that were to happen again. They would be arrested. They would be prosecuted. And the words of time in jail. Uh, don't give up my details, but I was with someone for a few years and fell pregnant pretty fast in the relationship. That's where my whole life went rapidly downhill. He had a drink and a drug problem. When I was eight months pregnant, he tore me down to the ground and I hit my bump off the floor. After I had my baby, I had to go back to work when my child was four months old just to get out of the house and get away from him. My mam took my child while I worked on winter nights. When I came home, there'd be no fire lit, no dinner made. He'd be on the couch fast asleep. Uh, he would wake me out of my sleep and bring me downstairs just to abuse me and tell me how useless I am. He would beat me and make my life hell. I was always afraid to tell anyone. I used to lie in bed every night wishing I would die. 
and that someone would find and look after my child. Now, five years on, I'm free of this man. He doesn't have anything to do with me or my child, and I'm happy. I never thought I'd ever get over this, but today I am the happiest I have ever been in my life, and my son is happy too. This is the life I always wanted. It's good to be free from everything I went through. Um, I'd love to know how you made the move. Uh, must have taken an awful lot of courage to leave. I- incidentally, I don't believe that you should have been the one leaving, if that's what you did. Uh, but I'm glad you took the step. Text 0868104106. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818104106. Red FM. I know you spoke before about young fellas with high beams, dazzling lights, and their unlicensed, out of control lurchers. At least three dogs every night walking around Farnry and Fairhill, seeking out people's pets like small dogs or cats. God forbid if a child opens a door or was still out in the front garden. They've already killed a neighbour's cat. It's a completely unacceptable thing. Shining lights on people's property at night, sending unleashed dogs in over a wall and garden fence to attack people's pets with no regard for life or even a lack of morality. We've got to come together as a community up here and stamp out these pet killers. Report who they are, their names and addresses to the Gardaí and the CSPCA. It strikes me as vile, satanic behaviour. If you know who they are, please report them today. Thanks, Neil. Don't give out my details. That's cat killers with lurchers still acting the maggots this time around. Farnery and Fairhill. Saw some video yesterday, actually, from down around the cove area of individuals who've been caught on CCTV video camera. It's, it's unbelievable. Uh, climbing over walls and going into private property or building sites and literally ripping the properties apart just for the fun of it. I mean, the world is just getting worse and worse and worse. Uh, text 0868104106. Just one quick one here, the side of 11, because I did mention, uh, yet again, we have flood alerts. We get all sorts of warnings now of all sorts of different colours. Uh, but with some high tides coming into the city over the next three days, businesses in certain areas are on red alert. Um, I know Paul Walsh is the owner of Three Little Piggies. He's probably used to it at this stage. Paul, good morning. Pardonable. How are we? Well, I'm good. What key are you again? It, it doesn't say here. I know you're down around Lavitsky, is it? Oh, we're on Union Key. Union right? Key, my apologies. I keep. Yeah. Why do I keep confusing those two, Union Key and Lavitsky? Of course you are, Union <laughs> Key. People confuse the keys quite often. You know, I'm I'm very bad with bridges. I'm usually better with keys, but the bridges, <laughs> De Valera now and Michael Collins, <laughs> I, can never, <laughs> I can never work out which is which. But anyway, are y'all on red alert now. Oh yeah, we're, we'll be prepping this evening for for the the high tides. It, it's it's obviously a common thing with us, but it's how bad it's going to be, the severity of it, you know, is is what, what we, we have to plan for, no matter what. What's the plan? Sandbags? Oh, we'll have sandbags on standby just in case. Now, luckily enough, the Delhi um, is part of the Union Key Car Park, which is, a, is a, a very modern building. So we have two steps up into it. So obviously when they were building those units and the car park, they allowed for obviously tidal flooding and stuff yeah, like that yeah, you know yeah. we, we all know part. what we all know what Morrison's Key and Morrison's Island can be like as an example oh that can get very bad it's the lowest part of the it's the lowest part of the keys in Cork City yeah yeah. So they're, they're first to flood no matter what. Yeah, okay, well, fingers crossed, you're all ready. And the other businesses are on alert as well for it, yeah? Yeah, no, it will it will disrupt everybody on that operates around us, um, including myself. We're used to it, we prepare for it. It will disrupt business for an hour, an hour and a half, depending on how bad it is. Gotcha. Obviously, they'll close, they'll close off the roads. Uh, people, pedestrians and stuff like that won't be walking the keys. Um 
So it's the severity of it is, is what we look for. And obviously, when there isn't a storm coming in from the south, we thank God because obviously with the high tides and if there's a storm coming in from the south, that's when the city's really in trouble. Okay, well, listen, um, hopefully everybody's taking the precautions. Listen, before, what I wanted to talk to you about was um, this, this food truck story from yesterday on Emmett Place, you know, Paula, the Brazilian girl. Yes, with, I uh, heard it, truck. I heard it, yeah. yeah um, and uh, people on Emmett Place got very annoyed about it. One particular business man uh, cut the cable to her generator and put her out of business. Got very, very, guards were called and everything. You, you, have, you have a food business, bricks and mortar. Where are you on trucks rocking up and selling food outside an existing restaurant or takeaway? Well, thankfully, nobody does it outside me. But um, <clears throat> I, I can understand the restaurants that are situated there already. I can understand their, their anger at City Hall granting licenses to, to a truck that can pull up outside your premises and sell food. It's taken away from your business. Yeah. Um, no, they shouldn't have done what they did, but... The fees and rates and everything like that are probably 10 times more than what there will be for a food truck. We pay heavily on orange with bricks and mortar. And also what nobody's mentioned is you're there all of the time, 52 weeks of the year, whether, whereas a food truck will come probably when they're guaranteed a crowd. You're also there when you're not guaranteed crowds. Yes, yes, yes. And obviously... It's. Uh, I can understand the business is getting very annoyed with it. I'm surprised City Hall granted a pitch in front of other cafes and restaurants. I'm very surprised. Well, they usually did. Well, they did. They're, yeah, they're quite good usually with their planning. But like, if somebody rocked up and went to open a cafe next door to me, say, I can object to that, and they wouldn't get planning for it because there's already a cafe next door. Right. But if it was um, somebody rocked up with a truck selling coffee. Yeah, yeah, it's, I, I, I'd be very annoyed. And I they were be. a little bit cheaper than you. You're in trouble yeah. then, aren't you? Oh, you are in trouble, yeah. They're going to take me big time, you but know. She, but in fairness, Paula said to me, her food offering, which was donuts and, and, and Brazilian dishes, is a million miles away from the type of food being sold in the restaurants. So should that make it okay? No, because obviously, if they go to... People go out for lunch every day. Some people walk around, they're not sure what they're going to eat. They go, we'll have a walk around, we'll see what we're going to eat. Now, if they pop into that um, mobile truck and they spent their money there, instead of sending it, they could have gone into a cafe that's next to it or a restaurant that's next to it. So, you know. So you can kind of understand why businesses might be upset. Oh, well, big time, yeah. big time. Not to the point of cutting somebody's power cable, but upset. Yeah, oh, big time. And as I said, Neil, the fees involved with bricks okay. and markers is, is a lot more than... than mobile vans or Thanks for that. Like that appreciate you know. it Paul best of luck take care of the next few days Paul Walsh with uh, Three Little Piggies on Union Key text 0868104106 I'm Rory and I'm Valerie and you can join us for the very best in local national and international sport every weekend on the Big Red Bench that's the Big Red Bench every Saturday and Sunday from 6 on Cork's Red FM my apologies. I have this for a little while now and didn't get to it, but I think that uh, I should share it now because you talk about relationships or abusive relationships or issues in guard regarding relationship breakdown, which we were chatting about uh, this morning. This has nothing to do with what happened with Una uh, down in Yall, of course. She, this was a, a, a colleague at work, of course. There was no relationship. 
and it turned into a living hell for her. But this woman unfortunately says, Hi Neil, I'm on my last legs. I'm in my mid-70s and currently going through a divorce after 44 years of marriage because of an emotionally abusive relationship. 44 years of marriage. Um, Since my late 30s, I had realised what was going on in my relationship with my husband, but I decided to stay for the sake of my kids. Over the years, my husband would regularly ignore me for the smallest of things, and it would go on for weeks, just stone-cold silence. We did go to mediation before the divorce was initiated, but it just didn't work. In 2018, I decided to file for divorce, as I really couldn't deal with the situation anymore. I employed the services of a solicitor who is charging me now almost €300 an hour, but takes the same fee if a phone call lasts just 15 minutes. God almighty. Um, Since the beginning of COVID, the solicitor has been working from home and the rate has remained the same, even though their services to me has lessened. I have to constantly chase them and it can take at least five or six calls before they pick up the phone to me at all. Recently, I brought my friend to the solicitor's house as I find it hard to retain the information they're providing. But the solicitor was abusive to her. My house has been sold, but I haven't signed the final contract yet. The solicitor is doing nothing for me and their fee continues to grow and is eating into my profits from the sale and preventing me from purchasing a new home. I'm looking for advice as I do not know what I can do as I've signed the contract with my divorce solicitor and I agreed the fees. Now bear in mind those fees are at a rate of €300 an hour, but it's still €300 an hour even if it's a 15-minute phone call. Good God Almighty. She says, at present, the bill is going up and is currently at six and a half thousand euro. Are solicitors allowed to continue to charge like this? Say, for instance, even when it's short phone calls or working from home. Can I make an official complaint somewhere regarding my solicitor? Have any of your listeners gone through anything similar? I desperately need help, says Joan. Um, Now, having received that, I did contact a solicitor wondering what in the name of God can this woman do to turn off the financial tap here? Um, Regarding, and this is what I got back from, let me just say, a legal eagle. Regarding solicitor's costs, this is an area that no solicitor would discuss, particularly regarding family law. It's all very individual and the facts of each case are so different. This lady, if she's not happy, should perhaps put it in writing to her solicitor first. And she then has the Law Society and the new legal ombudsman to refer her issue to. Family law is firstly ruled by the court in camera rules, which nobody can discuss the case outside the parties and the facts of each case. Uh, In fact, this lady ought to be careful talking about her case at all if it's not finished, as the other side could well take issue. But anyway, back to the rates. Rates are very tightly governed with the new Section 150 process. This involves a very specific setting out of the costs on a step-by-step basis with the client. This then has to tie up with the fees. So it's not as easy as just throwing out a figure anymore. You can check out the regulations, and I've got the links here. Legal Legal said there's a heck of a lot more admin and monitoring of solicitors' fees these days. It's shaken us right up. In fact, barristers now also need to provide a Section 150 letter. The Section 150 lays out every single thing about the case, the work that will be done, 
and an estimate of costs, right? And I've seen these things in the past. But if you signed paperwork to say that you were willing to pay a solicitor <coughs> the rate of €300 Euro an hour, I don't know how you could back out of that one. Um, but I did then look further. because So you have, obviously, in, the, in that legal email, legal, legal eagle response, it did mention the Law Society. So the first thing is, write to the solicitor and say you're not happy. You know, and that the fees are exorbitant and they're going up and you shouldn't be charged that kind of money for a 15-minute phone call. Um, then, if you're getting nowhere, write to the Law Society. But most importantly, write to the Legal Services Regulatory Authority, the LSRA, which, as I say, is the Legal Services Regulating Authority. Write them a letter and tell them everything that you've told me because they investigate complaints against solicitors and barristers and they complain, they take complaints exactly like you're talking about. Inadequate professional services, excessive fees, misconduct. misconduct. They're impartial um, and their service is free. Um, and their postal address is available. Their telephone number is available and their email address is available online if you search, search LSRA. Um, and I think that could be one of the ways that you might get a resolution to this and certainly maybe try and sort out those fees which are just continuing to increase the Legal Services Regulatory Authority. Um, if you've been through, some, through something like that, perhaps you might like to get in touch yourself if you have any added advice. Text 0868-104-106. Back after the break. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Right, I'll come back to a lot of texts and emails, I promise, because there's an awful lot of people getting in touch. But I want to go back to a story from yesterday following my visit to Cars Hill on Sunday afternoon. It was a damp and wet and windy day and I was up there in the famine graveyard and I was absolutely heartbroken to see how it's being neglected. Something as important as that, with so many lives lost to the great hunger and to pauperism and uh, people who had no money and were literally just thrown into a hole uh, and left there. And you had, um, you know, small babies and possibly Besborough babies, I don't know, but certainly um, a lot of babies born out of wedlock. Things, awful stories like that. And, and yet there they all are under the ground beneath our feet and no, no feet and nobody seems to be showing them any respect. Mick O'Sullivan lived uh, not too far, actually. I'll chat with him in a few minutes' time. An extraordinary man with a very interesting story to tell. But just ahead of that, um, this is a clip from a documentary from 1968. It's, it's one of the Ryark TV programs, cracking program that Archie used to have. It was called The Memory of the Dead uh, from 1968. It's a documentary that explores the, the changing local funeral customs in Cork in 1968. And it features some very interesting stories about the history of gra- graveyards like um, Corkapon um, and the Cars Hill graveyard, known as Cars Hole. So, in this clip, you're listening to a fellow called Peter Lamas explaining more about Cars Hole at Cars Hill and speaking to the man who erected the steel cross that still stands there today, the man known as uh, Bonnie Sorensen, who put that massive big steel cross up. I don't know whether it still lights at night. I think it. It did, or it, it does, but this is a, a clip from Ryark. For many years, there was one odd man out among the cemeteries of Cork. This was the cemetery at Carr's Hole, an old pauper's graveyard, a short distance outside the city on the Douglas Road. Bill Sorensen, who is a taxi driver, passed it often and never forgot to say a prayer for those who were buried here. But it worried him that so many of his fellow citizens should be lying in unmarked graves in an unmarked graveyard. 
and he began to visit the place regularly and to inquire into its history. He traced out the outlines of the pits where the poor were buried during the Great Famine without benefit of shroud or coffin, and he decided it was about time they received a suitable monument. The monument took the form of a steel cross, more than 50 feet high, and he built every bit of it himself with his own two hands. Well, I'm a lover of the poor people. And are they all poor people who are buried here? Oh, God love us, they had nothing. What is it? I've been hungry in my life, and I know what it is for the, to, keep, to, to go out without food, or to be without a drink of water. How is it that they were buried here without so much as a headstone for the lot of them? Oh, God, I couldn't answer that question. I suppose it was the times. Sure, the whole world was the same. I think Ireland was no different to the rest of them. Are there many people buried here? I'd say anything up to, well, they said 5,000, but I think they reckon about, some there must be about 10,000 people buried here. Well, would all these people have been paupers? Oh, God, yes, I'd say there would be. Sure, this is no man's land. They call it, it uh, was known as Pathos Field, and they changed it over to uh, uh, Carl's Hall, and then they called it All Saints Cemetery, but it is a nice way to look after all the saints. <laughs> How did you go about getting the cross and getting it up? Well, my experience with the telephone company that uh, I was only just going to put up an armory telephone pole with a cross arm on it, and uh, the time went by, and I concentrated and I had five crosses in mind, two wooden crosses and two steel crosses and a concrete cross. Mm. So I fixed on the idea of putting up this one because I could do the job myself and I started off then making in the cross in the garden and <laughs> my wife started kicking up a dust <laughs> about a graveyard and my son also. He says, are you crazy? Are you mad? I know. He says, are you mad? He says, the whole bloody world is mad. <laughs> but says, I'm going to carry on with the cross, anyhow. You know? And I carried on, and this is where it finished up. You mean you made this whole 60-foot cross in oh, the back garden? No, yes, but I didn't make it at all. God made it, I think. <laughs> I, I'm sure of that. I'm sure of that because I had no difficulty. Isn't it amazing to hear the audio of Bonnie Sorensen, the man who built in his own house or whatever garden, front or back garden, the 60-foot high cross that went up on the site at Cars Hill. Never knew either that it was known as Cars Hole. Mick O'Sullivan joins me because he lived in that area uh, back in the day. Mick, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Isn't that fascinating? I never knew it was Cars Hole. Did you know that? Uh, it's Michael Fitzgerald, Neil. My apologies. Did they, did we get your name wrong, Mick? You will see. It is Michael Fitzgerald, and it doesn't matter. Anyhow. All right, pal. It said Mick O'Sullivan here. My sincerest apologies for that <laughs> error. But tell me, you tell. Okay, well, tell us your story about the about well, the, the grave. Neil, as I say, you were up there now Sunday, and you see what it was like. Okay. Oh, shocking! Oh, depressing! And I went there over fifty years now, right? Yeah. And we lived just three fields away from it. How long ago are we talking about now and how old would you have been? I'd say I was about maybe between six and seven. Okay, are we talking the 50s kind of thing? Yeah, around that, yeah, but I'm 74 years of age, no many <laughs> Okay, okay, okay. So Potter's Field became Carr's Hole, then became All Saints Cemetery. They say, well, they say there's upwards of 30,000, you're suggesting 35,000 bodies. Uh, just somewhat like the old people were talking around maybe 35, but... People like the old people were talking, Neil, right? 
white was called calf hole, right? Yeah. Now, the, some of the what we call it, the holes would be maybe 10 feet wide and 10 feet deep. Right. And they're all different sizes, right? And we, like, to get in there would be a problem now. There was a few nice palm trees and things like that, but to get in there... And we could, you know, on summer holidays, we'd go up there and we might come back after maybe two or three hours and mother might say, where, where were you? And then we'd say, we're above in Castle Hall. And she'd say, can't you stay out up there? If you fall into the hole, you won't get out of it. Right, right. But then the old people, people that were talking about why them holes were so deep, right? The man that was getting, I think he was getting a half crown for every corpse that he was burying. That's right. Yeah, from the council. But he was using the same coffins and he was only just throwing the water card the bodies into the ground. Yeah, and it wasn't, a, it, it was far from a respectful burial. It was just... Well, it was like basically, Neil, you could call it a dumping ground. Yeah. So that was a fellow called George Carr. He was fined on a number of occasions because he wasn't yeah. burying them properly. Wasn't that right? And I didn't, people were like, I have me like when saying the good summer came and the Calgrain Road had to be closed off for three months with the smell. The host, caravans, the host aren't going to town, you know, like there was no cars. So it's kind of, you know, a host tram's going up the road, I think, you know. And this is in your time as a young flea, you're saying? Oh, oh no, no, it couldn't be my Way time. back along. Way back along to where they, uh, like when the family went about building they were saying the right. road was but up until when up, up until when oh the stench I know but up until when was it actually being used to bury people I all I remember now Neil as I say you know the back the Marlborough Hill Road yeah that's where we live right yeah so we're three fields away from the right and like our road was kind of a hard trudging really I remember being tired like you know the only part I remember now was where to tell where was the old golf club was still there. Yeah, yeah. So we lived up that road. But you often see a horse and bus and to come up by the side of that Smithsfield and go way up there, there'd be an old coffin inside in the back of it. So you saw as a child horse and carts going up with bodies Oh, in the yeah, back. yeah. Like, I mean, as I say, we were six and seven. But we took no notion. Neil, we used to go up there now. You still there, Mick? Hello, Neil. Yeah, you're still there. There was a click on the line, but you're still with me. You used to go up there, you said. Go on. Well, it was like, like we used to be in there now, like, when they're like, and you'd see bones and things like that, like, you know. Like, I mean, like, we, but we took no notice of it, you know, and we were just kids playing around. Oh, my God, yeah. You mean you'd you see, know, like, you'd see yeah, skeletons and skulls and things. Yeah, but if you fell into the hole, like, you, 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 you would find it hard to get out on you, you know what I mean? But then in, in, after, like, that bunny sourcing gentleman then, right? Yeah. Yeah. He was, like, we used to be going down to him. Like, he, he, we used to be going down to him, Neil. Right. Right. And uh, we used to be chatting, I said, we used to be commenting him as well, right? When he was putting up the cross. When he was putting the cross and he was putting some paths together as well. I remember it was lovely, beautiful summer weather. And then... You, Neil, did you remember, like, did anyone tell you that cross fell twice before? Never knew it. Never knew that. The first time, Neil, there was, I suppose, maybe 200 people, or maybe more now, like, you know, and the cross was ready to go up. And what they did, like, they had people and pulleys onto the palm trees. And when it was 99% up, it uprooted the trees. Oh, wow, that was securing them, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and came back down again. So it did a bit of damage, but no one's hurt it or nothing. So then, 
after getting it right again, something similar again, but the farmer next door, like tractors were very scarce, so they're all horses, right? But he was after buying a new tractor, four tractor. Right. So he decided that he would pull it with the tractor, you know, they'd pull it again and things, all that Fair kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, he got involved, yeah. And uh, it was 99% up again, right? And it came back down, right? And it was only just about two feet away from the front of the back wheel of the tractor, and then the other 30 feet was hanging out over the top of the tractor. God almighty, did it demolish <laughs> the tractor, no? No, no, I, like, you know, the, the, the cross... The cross like, missed, yeah, I know it, what you it, mean, the gap between the cross. They were lucky, yeah, though. Yeah, that was, like, so wide, like, that it stood up, and the 30 feet was hanging out over the tractor then. So the holes so, that you're... We got it up the third time lucky, though. Oh, yeah, the third time then, it, 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 things got right, and they got it up. But then, Neil, the, what we call it, then, as I say... Like, what happened in the time the, there was a machine came in and it kind of covered over everything. The holes were filled in, but those the, holes were dug by what? George Carr to throw bodies oh, I said in. they were dug by hand, like, as I say, and, um, like, like, as I say, which was known as Cass Ward, that was the time of the famine, and then it was known as the Parfus Graveyard because the people were coming out, like, they had no one belonged to them and they were just thrown in there. And they're the ones, those, they're the misfortunes you would have seen in the 50s as a child. Yeah, yeah, you'd see, in that time you'd see, what we call it, no, a lot more might have come up the, the, the Cars Hill Road. Road where you were. Yeah, 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 uh, coming up the Cars Hill itself, yeah, Yeah, from that's the main entrance there, like... But there was no park and no, no nothing there, nothing like that there, no need, you know. But it doesn't strike me as a graveyard or a burial site. It's a dumping oh, it's ground. Dump, Neil says it just was a dumping ground, boy. That's what you could call it. You know, there was never no, no one ever kind of took no notice, you know. People walked around it and, as I say, I walked out, they passed it out and go through it and everything like that. But we kind of took no notice, Neil, you know. It was kind of that part of life, I don't know. I'd love if you were to go up there again, Mick, to see what you think of it now. Yeah, well, I, I, as I say, you know, what I, I saw my home place only up there, small, only three feet away from Neil. Yeah. As I say, like, but I mean, our, our back road now, like, uh, there was nothing up that road, Neil, only a few cottages, and you had sheriffs, sheriffs owned it all the land. You know, all around Douglas there. Yeah. You know, the, you know the new barracks, Neil? I do, on, uh, that's back in the back of the end, Douglas, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, so coming up that, well... It was Maryborough North Hill Park. there, yeah. Yeah, Maryborough Hill, John Sundown. But the only path now left to Sheriff's Wood is the, the lodge. God, they owned, a, up lot, up they owned the a lot the of land if it went all the way up there, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, all down Rochestown, it's all built now. And the, the Sheriff's house now is an hotel. That's right. Yeah, yeah that, that would be the Maryborough. Yeah, well, t- if you went in the front door now, there'd be a big picture up and it's known as Sheriff's Wood. You really know your stuff about that general area, don't you? <laughs> well, sorry, I thought we did. But need that Sheriff's now, they used to sell the apples, right? Yeah. And the Charlies would come out from the city in their little donkeys and traps and they'd go away with hot spots of them. Amazing, isn't it? And, and so- in the locals, like, I mean, if I went down now, She'd be sitting in an old stool and an old bit of cushion under, and she'd ask you if, and a galvanized bucket would be a half crown. You get, you get a half crown. She'd ask where you, you get the extra few. Mrs. Sherrod, is it? Yeah, yeah. But we just go down, Rob, anyhow. 
wouldn't bother paying. You'd slog them instead, cheaper. <laughs> you know, we knew the area so well. Like, but was, like they had a massive farm. Like there wasn't much up that road. You had Sherris, you had Horrigans across the way, and then you had Jackie Sanders, the other farmer, had we going up the road. Yeah. And yeah. then you had Horrigans. There were nearly all farmers, you know, that was up that road. And a lot of that then was sold for residential over the years. All sold there, then, like, as I say, it went from nothing to, like, like a million dollar palace, you know what I mean? You yeah. couldn't buy nothing down now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you, you remember know? when it was very simple and just fields and farms. Oh, I say, I, like, we remember when the XP, there was no electricity. I remember when they were town drove with the big steam engines and the old big green caravans down behind them and the county council breaking the stones with the sledgehammers. Go away. You know? That's what... Flat roads are... And do you, like, would you have hung out in Douglas when you were a young fella in the 50s as well? Um... I, I, Neil, I didn't go to school for too long because I was working very young. Yeah. But uh, when I did go to school, like, I did hang around Douglas. There was a shop there known as Fanny Barry. Fanny <laughs> Barry? Was it a sweet shop, is it? <laughs> she, she, had the sweet, she had the sweet shop there in the corner there, just by, just above, before, but across the road, exactly across the road where the old barracks was. If you were coming down the Crosshaven Road, the old Crosshaven Road. Oh, my God. And you what did I, you do if you didn't stay long in school? Me, I worked with a farmer. Neil, I worked with a farmer. And you, like, I, I worked with a farmer in the evenings when I was nine, ten years of age. And then I stayed up there when I was 14. And you'd be up every morning at five o'clock and you could be walking at 11. And what was the farmer? Was it cattle or sheep or growing oh, things? Oh, they had cows, everything, pigs. I see after them. They, had, they, they owned it. They owned it all. I'll tell you now. They owned it all up old road. They owned it, the farm there. If you went away to the Crosshaven or Crosshaven Road, they owned it that. And if you went up to the Ben Ray Road, they owned it all then right across the road. Amazing. You know, but uh, you'll be up. You get a. You'll be up at five o'clock, and then you you'll get a lie in. Every second Sunday morning, half at seven. <laughs> that was a lion. Yeah. <laughs> and then, Neil, when I was about 15 years of age, you know where CMP was? Out in the Tremor Road. Yeah. Yeah. It's gone now, like, yeah. it's gone. Well, I used to be coming out of that at eight, at eight o'clock in the morning after making 220 cows. <laughs> I'd be driving a big Dodge lorry and a 40 foot trail around behind it. You didn't milk them by hand, though, did you, Mick? No, no. I, when, I, when I was there first, there was about maybe eight or nine workmen there, and someone milked them by hand. Then there was a kind of a, a machine you, with a pipe to put the strap and the strap over the cow. Yeah. And then he was kind of one of the fellas that got the first milking parlors. He was the first man to ever get anything like that. God, that was real work, wasn't it? That was oh, seriously was like... l- laborious work, like. <laughs> You know, like as I say, if you up and have a combine over thirteen years of age, you'd be living two hundred weight bag, you know what I mean? But it didn't mean nothing. <laughs> yeah. And did, did you do that all your life then, that kind of work? Uh no, I Neil I what we call it and I went from that into the a contractor, uh, the next door neighbour where the grey rabbit is now. And uh, I was with them for about maybe two years doing going in like plowing fields and things like that. <laughs> and then I went from there, Neil, and I went from there then to a, a neighbour that's down there. And he was in the building, I went in the building with him. I could turn my hands to plaster and building anything. I can turn my hands to anything. The only thing that I can't turn my hands to, I, I literally, I just never kind of did much of school because I never got a chance to do anything anyhow. So can, can you read? 
No, Neil, I can't. But I, it never bothered me. Didn't it bother you? Never ever thought you thought God had love to be able to read. No, anything. I was always there to get where I wanted to go. And, yeah. You know. Do you think you missed it. anything by not being able to pick up a book or read a bill? Who'd want to read no, a bill? No, because I, I, I look at a lot of history channels and things like that. You yeah, know. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, no one ever has I say like I mean, the, the time that I used to go to school, you see, I'd, I'd, maybe if I got some wrong, you were put up against the wall and you got a clatter. And you were left dead in for the rest of the day. I know, I know. <laughs> I know, but you but you have no problem admitting the fact that you can't. Can you write? Oh, yeah. yeah like, I mean, like, it's no good, like, it's no good crying about it. It's yeah. no good hiding it. No, but people do. I mean, can, can, you, can you write at all? Oh, I can write, but, like, I mean, if you can't read, it's no good writing. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? You, just, you just got on with life. I mean, it, I just got on with life. I have, I say, Neil, I have a beautiful family, and I have what we call it. I have six lovely daughters, two lovely boys, and... Twelve grandkids. Go away. And happily living away now in Belgooli, is it? And having here 40 years. We're here 40 years now in Belgooli. Oh, you see a lot of change if you went back to Douglas or Rochestown oh, and Mary Burnham. Oh, sure, as they say, like, I mean, like, I mean, I mean as I say, like, I, Neil, I remember all my sister's born at home. Was it a small house? To the cottage, on the old cottage in the echo ground. Go away. And we remember all my sister's born at home and my neighbours, no, we be up and be... Nurse Handy would come up as there was, them, we'd be looking in the window, well, in, in, in another neighbour's house, we'd be looking in the back window while the baby was born, you know what I mean? <laughs> Mr. Sorensen died in 79, is that right? Was there any talk back in oh. the day when he passed away, do you remember? He was a taxi I, driver. Well, Neil, to like I didn't know much about him. As I say, we used to only go up to him when he was putting the cross together, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, and I yeah. say we were more tormenting him than anything else. Sounds to me as if he was an amazing guy to do that off his oh, own. Yeah, day. he was a kind of a nice, you know, fine, big gentleman of a man. But he, there used to be a helper with him. Now I had to say, yeah, 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 yeah. There yeah. used to be a helper with him, like, and know. it used to light up at night. I don't know if it still oh, does. It, 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 it lit up there for a good few years in the winter, but then I think it was, I know, was it money problems or not? But the DSP cut it off anyhow. It's just nothing but disrespect everywhere you turn, turning the lights off, oh, letting so it go to rack and like, ruin. I mean, like, I often heard you dear Neil about uh, um, women saying their ch- children are buried out there. If they were out today, they're a fox and a dog to come. Do you really think that? Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, uh, we often, like, go up there and next you just see a fresh load of maybe, you know, and they keep putting that was it, like. The dog you or know? the fox would have dug up a body. Oh, oh God, yeah, yeah, you know, I had to say, we'd be up there, no, and like, we took no notice of nothing like that, no, you know what I mean? No, no, You know, until we were just young, but the mother would tell us to stay out of it because we fell into the hole and get out of it. <laughs> 30 to 35,000 of them, it's dreadful. It's yeah, well, people. that's what, you know, in the end of the day, I say, Neil, no one knows what went in there. Yeah, but that doesn't stop us treating it with respect and. Oh, um, it's getting, like I think it's very wrong. Like I'd say, getting it tidied old, up and manicured so that it's a beautiful, peaceful place where people are laid oh, to rest. Oh, sure. Like I mean, it's kind of like I mean the high walls are there and everything. Like you know, as I say, no, like he was the only man that kind of put any bit of effort. Yeah, the only fella. It. Yeah, the only fella. Yeah. You know what I mean? But as I say, Neil, we, like I, I, I went up there now for about fifty years, Neil. That's where I went. No interest in going back, no. Uh, sure, you know, Neil, you saw something, you saw something like, I mean, and, uh, you know, 
what I could do it would be nothing now I'd say you know what I mean like, well thank you for sharing the story it's been enlightening you know actually Neil you know how they say you know like I mean when you lived up down like around that place yeah, there, I, like, know, you know. I know because your backyard <laughs> as the fella says for many years yeah yeah we like to see and, and in the Banray races used to come all around there as well Neil well I remember seeing the hunt photographs from the finger post um they were all dressed up in their finery. Do you remember them when the oh, hunt was Oh, no, like these, this was the races that go on out for a day to the kind of all the horses, 40 or 50 horses, and they'd all put up big red flags and to be all around by the graveyard, to be down by a house, to be across the road in over in Larry's fields as well. You know, that was the main place. Amazing. Where they'd come all down around all the jumps and everything, and they'd have big red flags up, and then when the race would be over, that's what we'd go after, the red flags. <laughs> you know what, we've seen them. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that was a big challenge, you know what I mean? There's a book in like, you, my man, there's a book in you, you should get it all down. <laughs> and then the people need, like, our, they'd never push bike there, you know, and we might get a, a hate near a penny for minding the push bike for them, you know? Happy days, boy. <laughs> Simple times, weren't they? <laughs> and as I say, Lord Mason's Fanny Barry, you know, you know? She used to have lovely cake and everything like that. But I got bad from going in there, Neil. <laughs> <laughs> because my mother's sister was a nun, but she was from England in Africa, right? And she came back, and she came back with medals. And the medal was the same size of a half crown. <laughs> <laughs> and I wore, I foiled the top off of it, and you get a big bell of slap toffee for a half crown. And of course, I gave to her like that, and she took and she gave me the laptop, but a week after she realised that, I could, so I, got, I couldn't come in no more. Did Fanny Barry get on to your mother about that then? No, I just thought, just just like I, I was bad from the shop. <laughs> <laughs> Gone, like, you know, as I say. But most people that time would go in and they'd get a wood boy, maybe two wood boys for a half near, you know. <laughs> you know, that's the way it was, like, you know. Those but shops I, were all over the place. Tessie Lottie was up to the same knack down in Black Rock back in the day, yeah, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> there was a load of them out in Blackpool as well, would sell you yeah, a fag and a piece of scratch. I say, no, like, that's it. But, like, the teachers there, no, you, you had the. <laughs> Joe the Bulldog, he was known as. <laughs> that was our head teacher. <laughs> he sounds like a very pleasant kind of a guy. He, I went, he, he then you had Matty, he was okay. You had Mara, she was known as Blue Nickers. <laughs> <laughs> and then you had Nobber. Oh God, I wouldn't even go there. <laughs> That's what he you know, like, you know, there were the, but like, uh, Ford, he was so soft, and if you did anything wrong, he'd just tell you when it's three o'clock into to George Bulldog and you'll be there up against the wall and then you get a f- fine few clappers <laughs> of a handle of a chair now, you know? Oh, for God's sake. And then he would have a Volkswagen, <laughs> an old Beetle car, right? And he'd catch up by the ear and then he'd want to know, I used to go caddying for him then. Golfing? God, yeah, I used to do caddying for him. And i get seven, six off him then for doing the 18 holes. And then if he won, he gave me 10 bob. But it would be the same thing again the next day if I was there. He'd still give you a clatter. <laughs> oh, he'd get the four belts of the... <laughs> with the hand got just mute of it, like, you know. Oh, no. Is it any wonder <laughs> that people weren't great at the books? They'd carry on. <laughs> oh, no, it? like, I mean, I, 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 I stood up against them while see more things going up and down the old Cagline Road than anywhere else. Looking out the window. Looking out the window, yeah. I know, I know. But there were dim times, Neil. Mick, it's and, been lovely chatting with you, man. Uh, Neil, thanks, bye.
Look after yourself. It's been I a will. pleasure. God bless you. And thanks for, thanks for enlightening us so much about the time. And I the know, Neil, I know. But sure, you know, it's not making it easy in a lot of people, I suppose. No, but know. I think the more we talk about things like this, perhaps it might make a difference. You never know, you know. If there's a will, oh, there's yeah, a way. Neil, I, you know, I hope it does. Like, I hope it does, Neil. I hope it does, bye. All right, look after yourself, Mick Fitzgerald. Thanks again, Cheers, bye. my man. God bless. God bless, Neil. God bless, Take bye. care. Text 0868 Cracking guy. The Neil Prenderville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818-104-106. Stories of uh, Cars Hill or Cars Hole, it was known as, and before that, Potter's Field. It's amazing that every area of the Cork City and surroundings has its own unique stories, and it's great to hear them through the eyes of those that grew up there. But unfortunately, what's going on in Cars Hill now is a disgrace to all of us, actually, that we allow it to sit as it is uh, in such degradation and neglect. But then, you know, why should that surprise me? Text 0868104106 on that. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. We remember Mr. Sorensen as well, the man who put up the big, huge 60-foot stainless steel cross. I mean, is it, can we ch- is it anybody knows whether it's lit at night now anymore? Used to be a long time ago. I mean, that would be a nice start, wouldn't it? It's important to remember people, isn't it? And it's important to show them respect and to give tribute to people who've made a difference. I was chatting yesterday with Pamela Morris. She's the owner of Soby Brown on Morrison's Island, Morrison's Key. Um, and she was telling me a beautiful story about the passing of a man named Victor Butler. Now, he would be known to Cork people as Victor Franks the uh, hairdressing salon on Marlborough Street. Apparently, he passed away recently. And she was telling me the most fantastic story about how he, how he impacted on so many people who um, then took up hairdressing and learned the trade and did their apprenticeships and then went on into business themselves and did the same and took on their apprentices and they became hairdressers and went on again. And a lot of it, and I hope that Sean and Sue, who I think are... Is it Tenerife they're in? I think they're retired somewhere in the Canaries and regular listeners and contributors. I'm sure that Sean and Sue will enjoy this conversation because Pam joins me by phone. I just said to her, listen, I have, I'm happy to pass on kind regards to the family of the late Victor Butler. It would be better if you told the story herself, yourself. And that's exactly what she's going to do. So, Pam, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Thanks Th- a million. Thank you for on. stepping away from the hair dryers and the sinks <laughs> and all that to take some time. But t- tell us about Victor Franks, because I certainly remember the hair salon on Marlborough oh, Street, because I used to get yeah. across the road in, in what was the old Vic and Pitts and what have you, and the hair salon was across just across the road. Yeah, exactly. And it was up above, do you remember Billy Morgan's pub? Just was above a, the pub. A, yeah. Just above the pub. So that was our kind of Friday night gathering down there. But Victor, I met Victor, I was about 15 and I remember it was the summer holidays and I had decided myself without telling my mother that I was going in to get a job because they just weren't living up to my expectations in the house down below with funding me for my um, clothes and stuff. So I went and I remember even what I had done and I went into Victor and Lorraine was in there at the time and he came out. He was an old army barber and he had a barber's running at the side of it and the crack out of there and it was real old school now. You know, there was men in there with papers and laughing and joking and nothing was off the table like they talked about everything why did and you pick came, there though why go in there you know something now i had her my friend at the time her mother went in there and she used to speak so grandly of it so she'd always be telling everyone she went to victor franks for her hair so i went in and i saw i saw the sign it was down at the side of quarters there and i thought i had i was on a mission that day i was going around the, the city to find my job <laughs> And I came across that. Well, do you say you were a fifteen? 
I was 15, I was just there to get my summer holidays, they went in on the bus, and I thought, I'm coming home with a job now, whether anyone likes it or not. So I um, I came across the site anyway, and I said, Victor Franks, that's where Caroline's mother gets her hair done, and that's supposed to be fabulous. So I dove up the stairs there, and I said, um, can I speak to someone? I said, I'm looking for a job. And next thing, Lorraine said, sit down. If Lorraine is listening now, she'll know well, she'll remember it. And Victor came out, and he said, you're looking for a job, are yeah? And I said, yeah, he said, Come in tomorrow, so to me. Did your mum know? And I said, she does. Yeah, she does. And he said, come in to me tomorrow, so, and we'll see how you get on. And I started there, and I, I, I stayed there for about three years before I left. And I went what? on. And I what do you, st- when you say start, what, what would you do at the start? What was the job? Oh, come here. I thought I was taking over Wall Street. I had my pinstripe suit out of swamp. And I was going in thinking I was doing loads of things. I was sweeping the floor and he used to send me over to the... Do you remember the green door? Yeah. He used to send me over at the same time, about half to ten every morning, over to the green door to get his nutty apple (laughs) and the paper. And he'd sit down then and he'd read the paper. He was just such a beautiful man. Um, He was... He ran the place me like militant, right? Because he was an army barber. So he was very militant. So he cut hair up in in, in Collins Barracks, is it? I, I think he did back in the day. Yeah, um, yeah. And then he went on then to open Victor Franks. Um, I think it was always called Victor. It was called Victor Franks and he took it over. And coincidentally, his name was Victor. Ian, his son, now might correct me later. But um, coincidentally, I think it was always called either Franks or Victor's. Victor Franks. But anyway, he... Um, he so you did, your, you did your time, your apprenticeship there, yeah? I over a period of years. And then yeah, ended up... What, doing what after did you I mean you were obviously a stylist I went to the galley in Douglas after that because I was trying to sew my wild oats so I left and I went out to the galley in Douglas and then after that I went to America um, <laughs> were they okay? but were they okay with the 15 year old going off into town getting a job uh, listen, he said to me I need to talk to your mother and I said she'll be in and every every day I said <laughs> she'll be in next week she'll be in next week she'll be in next week and then it came time to school and I did not want to go back to school I absolutely loved working there so I said if I go back to school I knew it was all going to fall apart on me so I said to Victor I cried and this was he was so grandfatherly I said Victor I really don't want to go back to school I really want to stay here he said look tell your mother come into me and have a chat with her so he had like a parent teacher meeting we'll say now with my mum he brought her in and he had a chat with her and he said listen if she's late if she doesn't turn up if she's not keeping up I'll let you know and my mother had a chat with the school then and between the two of them they worked out that I would be there and I'd say if I missed two days work in about 10 years of my working life it was a lot because I wouldn't let him down and Well, I I, do you know something whatever he instilled in you I've never come across anybody that works as hard as you and took as many oh. you know risks in business to go from strength to strength you did it in America you came back you set up Sobey Brown do you, do you think that a lot of hairdressers in business today started with him? Oh, they did. So there was Fergal over in Origin and Vicky. They started with him. Valerie from Icon. Valerie is actually there now in the building. So she reopened Icon in that building where she originally started, which was fantastic. And then there's John Gaines, Rembrandt, um, Sam from Rembrandt, Lorraine and um, Lorraine from the hair shop. Uh, Lorraine and Marion from the hair shop. Uh, excuse me, I'm trying to run away from traffic. Oh, I can hear you. You're fine. You're fine. So they all would have trained, all, uh, served their time, gone yeah, into the profession did. and ultimately opened their own business and then ended exactly. up training others as well. Yeah. 
So you could probably train, you could probably trace hundreds and hundreds back to Victor Frank, to Victor Butler. Hundreds, you could, I'd say hundreds. And do you know something? We all have the same thing to say. He was just so, like, do you remember those buildings, Neil, the back of all those buildings, there was roofs out the back of them. He used to let us climb out there, right, and go sunbathing. And we'd have our factor on our lunch and he'd be handing out the factor to us. This was a fellow now who was so strict, but he was still, he was strict, but he loved the playfulness of it all. You know what I mean? He liked people to enjoy themselves. And I remember he'd be screaming, I was the youngest there, and he'd be screaming out to the old ones, get her in there because she's going to get scalded on me. Get her in. And I'd have to climb in the window. But he was just, I'm telling you, like he wouldn't let you away with anything. He wouldn't let you away with five minutes. He'd give out to you if you came in five minutes late and you'd have to pay that five minutes back. But he might slip you a fiver then tomorrow or... Oh, he sounds like a lovely man. Really and truly. adorable. Yeah. And his son Ian was adorable. Like we had the crack we all had and like that now Fergal from Origin. Uh, uh, Vicky will tell you, Valerie, John Ganey, the crack that we had in there. But it was all very respectful crack, you know. We were, we cracked your sides laughing every day. And listen, we were nearly brought to tears other days. Like I was being a junior back then was quite hard. But I, he always had my back and he always, I'll give him that, he had everyone's back. But isn't it, it's a difficult thing to know that if you're running a salon like him or yours or others, I don't know whether or not, uh, say for instance, um, uh, who would bring to mind, Fergal might even say this, uh, that you're literally training people, giving them the best experience they can get for them to move on and do their own thing. That's inevitable, is it? Oh, it's, yeah, you're giving them the best. But it's inevitable. And actually, it's it's a catch-22, Neil. You're dead, right? Bridget, or Bridget, that we were training in the salon there, recently went and she moved and she opened a place called KB Hairsbane on the end of Shandon Street. Bridget was with me eight years. I yeah. nearly saw her as my younger sister. But, you know, to see her go was bittersweet because I'm delighted and so proud, but gutted that she's gone. Yeah, I know, it's I know. Past, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, it's, yeah. Um, it's just the way things are supposed to go. But yeah, so he was just, he was a gem of a man and I'm so delighted and thankful that you're letting me honour him by coming on the radio like this. Because he had a huge impact in your young life and to where you are today now. Oh, he did. He did. Do you know something? I'd say he even kept me on the straight and narrow a bit because I remember one time going to Killarney. This is one of the days now that I missed. I remember one time all my friends were after convincing me to go to Killarney, but I was working and they said, call in, call in sick, call in sick. And I said, I can't, I can't. So I said in the end, all right, I'm going to go. So I called in sick. I went to Killarney. I didn't enjoy one bit of it. Yeah. I came back and on Monday morning I went into him and I said, Victor, I'm so sorry. I said, I wasn't sick. I went to Killarney. <laughs> <laughs> alright he said girls don't worry about us just don't do that to me now again and I swear to God I never ever did but that's what I mean I such respect and you had the guilt and, yeah you were respecting oh, so much yeah, you couldn't keep it a secret yeah 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 I couldn't keep it a secret and, and he passed but, away was it last week he passed away I think um, Ian texted me to tell me Ian called the salon actually to tell me and he passed away about four days ago I think he passed away before Patrick's Day but you know something I got it the only thing I got it about is that I, I actually didn't get up to see him in years I, did, I should have came I should have went to see him a long time ago and I wish I did and you know what can you do now that sure, I, I know I know well I mean you're doing a beautiful thing this morning we're remembering a a real core character and a man who gave a start to so many people who then went on to give starts to so many people after them. 
It's fabulous, so you know. You know so the proud. legacy continues, isn't it true? It really does. And Ian actually said to me the other day, he said, Pam, he used to keep check on all of you. He said he knew what you were all doing and he was so, so proud. And I just, I, I listen, he, I could go out about him till the turn of time. I think about him every day, even before he passed. I think about that man almost every day, I'd say. That's and beautiful. he has fierce impact over my, the way I, I run my own business and the way I run my own life. Fair play to you. this family etiquette as well. He was such a good family man as well as everything else. And I remember his own granddaughter, she'll remember this. She was really young at the time. She was only about 14 or 15 herself. And he used to have her in at the weekend. Lisa was her name. I wonder how she's doing now, but I hope they'll find out later on. Yeah, I know. Well, listen, it's a wonderful thing. And I hope the family are listening to this beautiful tribute. It's a lovely piece of cork that we remember, even though he has passed away. But thanks for the yeah. memories, Pam. Fabulous stuff. Well Neil, said. Thank you for letting me share that. That, that was fantastic. Great to chat. Look after yourself. Take care. Talk to you later. Bye, she herself is a diamond, one in a million herself, Pam Morrissey from Sobe Brown. Text 0868104106, lads, if you have stories to share, you your own reminiscences about, uh, you know, hairdressers on Lee side or indeed the great Victor Franks. Text 0868104106, email neil at uh, redfm.ie. Can I just mention a big shout out before I go, Neil? Would you please wish your number one fan a big happy birthday today? Margaret Hayes from Powderduff Road. She's one in a million and she's your Bally Bunyan friend. And Leah got in touch with me, so a big happy birthday. I know Bally Bunyan, Margaret, well, she's constantly in touch. Um, nearly met her when I was in Ballybunion a couple of years back but hopefully I'll get back there this summer so happy birthday Margaret have a great day yeah, it's important. get it off your chest text the Neil Brinderville show now 086 8104 that we Red should FM. not forget and that we should give respect to those that walk amongst us who are passing and that was the story of the late uh, Victor Butler talking about never forgetting. I think this could well be the text of the day. Um, pity Prince Charles was not brought to Cars Hill when he visited Cork some years ago to see the misery uh, on um, Cork by his ancestors during the great genocide of 1845 to 1847. Our elected representatives should be ashamed of themselves for their neglect of this beautiful place. Well, it is a beautiful place in one way, not when you walk am- upon it, but it should be. Um, and it should be remembered with respect and it's not at the moment so it's a lovely text Um, I don't mean to be reopening all wars or all wounds but you know sometimes you just have to remember uh, and we should never forget have a good day I'll see you tomorrow for more Red FM podcasts go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts